0: Do you know where you are? Do
1: you know where you are? This is Appetite for Distortion.
2: Welcome to the podcast Appetite for Distortion. It is Mirando episode sixty
3: nine.
2: Sixty nine. <laughs> I wanted to you played that clip for the longest time. Have you what was the last time you watched Billy Madison, uh Sir Kev from Ireland?
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. Oh so <also> sixty nine, dude. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Oh
2: yeah, from I should've had that clip instead from uh Bill and Ted. Sixty nine, dude. Yeah. Right, so anyway. <laughs> that was, that was yeah, uh, I'm already getting dumb. So yeah, welcome to Appetite for Distortion episode. Let's be adults, 69. Um, it is Brando Sir Kevin from uh, Ireland is our co-host for the day. Uh, Kev, what was your your episode again?
3: Uh, I was on episode 27, and then I was on uh, the Steve Garman episode as well. Yeah, you were uh,
2: 27. Yeah. Like, oh my God, that's like it that seems so long ago. So, for those of yeah. you who are new to the show and I say that honestly because I get a lot of messages from people who who just find us and who are going back into the episodes and I get messages all the time like that. So it's really cool. Uh, before I started getting into this snowball of of not to demean you, Kevin, but notable names, you know you're you're you matter. but I'm just saying like you know you don't have a Wikipedia page and things like that. Uh, I, I've done some fan interviews. so if you want to hear Kevin's story, it's back in episode twenty seven. And I like to be creative. If you haven't noticed, other than just with the sound clip, so I, I sometimes I have fans as co-hosts, so they could talk to just like me, just like I'm a fan. I just happen to work in radio and have access to certain things, but to talk to their 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 musical heroes or whoever we're interviewing. So that's going to happen a little bit later in just a few minutes. Uh, Jimmy Ashurst from uh, Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds and Buck Cherry. He's going to be our, our guest for today. And if I'm not mistaken, you said you saw the Juju Hounds when you were 10. That, is that right?
3: No, no, no. No? no I thought
2: not. you said when you were 10. All right, so I'm already fucking up.
3: No, no. I, I, I saw Izzy and Guns Noses when I was that age. Well, oh, okay. Not, not the Juju Hounds. Yeah. Uh, oh. it, it, it was, they, they were playing clubs. I was only 10. I couldn't get any clubs.
2: Oh, okay. Gotcha. So you have seen, though, the Juju Hounds, or am I misremembering that as well? No, not
3: not me, sadly. I, I wish. Like, I I got that, that record for my 11th Christmas, I think it was.
2: Then that's what I'm remembering. You got the album when you were young. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. So I had the facts jumbled, so I'm not a complete idiot. So you got the album when you were super young. And I know uh, since you're a guitarist, you're in a band, uh, Cross-Eyed Mary, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you have your own guitar shop, so I know Izzy... Uh, perhaps your biggest influence, so uh, I figured you'd be a pretty cool uh, guest to have on.
3: Yep, as he is. is The whole reason I I get up in the morning, I suppose, which is kind of sad, but...
2: Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's cool. I mean, uh, you know, in a way, this podcast is kind of why I get up in the morning, because it's just, uh, it's so fun to do, and so since you've not only been a guest, uh, I know when we do sometimes uh, fan interviews, because... I mean, good stories are good stories. Uh, You don't have to be famous to have it, but you've been a co-host, like you said, with Steve Gorman from the Black Crows. Uh, um, So you know the deal when you are a co-host. That means you get to be part of... News! news. So we have a lot to get to with uh, Shotgun News. So we only might get to uh, some stories, and then we might have to finish it up after the Uh, the interview with with Jimmy, because he's going to be calling up in a few minutes. And I I try to be in real time when these things happen. So it's uh, for us here in NYC, it's uh, the afternoon, uh, Sunday, uh, June 10th. And this was just posted the other day, first bit of shotgun news. And this goes out to the the creator of our brand new theme song. I don't know if I can continue to say brand new because we've been using it for uh for you know a few episodes now, but uh Mike Squires from Duff McKagan's Loaded, who were on hiatus. We had Mike Squires on, we had Jeff Rouse on, but at least for one show now, Duff's Loaded is back. Uh Mike Squires put on his Instagram, Loaded Rides Again. We will be playing a show in Seattle on September seventh, a day before my birthday. Uh this show is a benefit for an organization called R E S T, which provides freedom. Hope and safety for those escaping a life of sexual uh, exploitation and trade. Come support and soak up some rock at Slim's Last Chance. So that is very cool. At least for, for once, for one show, uh, Loaded is going to be back. So we'll see what's going to you know unfold after that. Hmm? Uh, next bit of shotgun news um I gotta thank our, our friends at alternative Nation uh, who usually uh, not usually they always put us uh, our podcast up but make uh you know interviews uh, excuse me transcribe our interviews that we do so the, in the second uh, article that they put up uh, with Alan Niven if that was a few episodes ago now but you know sometimes you have to let these interviews breathe uh I, did you listen to that episode by the way um Kevin yep yeah, so yeah. So, in that episode, I mean, obviously Alan had a lot to say. So uh, mm-hmm. if, if you didn't have a chance to either listen to the episode or read the article uh, that Alt- Alternative Nation put out, here's a bit of what Alan had to say about the uh, GNR box set and his thoughts on it.
1: For me personally, I think it's a little bit unfortunate. Um, actually, I might borrow a word from... Um, the esteemed manager of Guns N' Roses, Fernando, and used the word clueless because, unfortunately, he apparently was public in describing Guns N' Roses fans as clueless recently, which is a little bit of a shame.
2: Oh, by the way, before I finish the clip, I did you know, let Alan know that Fernando expanded on that. You didn't call all fans clueless because there are just some idiot fans out there, some dumb forums out there the then the minority, not the majority who just spread their quote unquote truth but anyway, let's continue with that that quote
1: but um, with the box set first of all the pricing I thought was absolutely out of the park to ask somebody to pay a thousand dollars for a box set um, especially since it's Basically stuff that anybody who's a real fan of the band, they'd have found most of that stuff.
2: That's only a part of what Alan had to say. Are you going to buy the box set? Like any increment? Because 1000 boxes, is the, the top you know, package you can get. There, so are you going to get, I think there are $100 ones, everywhere in between. Are you going to get any of them, uh, Kevin?
3: Uh, I actually had this discussion with... Uh our guitar player uh, a few nights ago. He's a big Guns N' Roses fan as well, and uh, he was tying with the idea because he has the money there. But I, I just don't, I just don't see it as valid. It's, it's like what Alan said. You know, there's, there's not much on there that I don't have, mm-hmm. and anything like those two extra tracks are probably the ones that we don't know are probably nothing, and they'll be out there anyway. I think it's, it's asking a lot. Considering there's just extra big like, trinkets and stuff. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna go out for dinner with Stephen Adler ring <laughs> on. You know, it's 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 not gonna happen, you know. And mm-hmm. I've got, you know, I've I've got an ori- original life like a suicide and things that I'm really proud to have, and I'm proud to have a very very extensive G&R collection. You know, uh, the band and then all the side projects as well. But I mean, in terms of uh, just a thousand. A thousand quid is is not something I'm I'm prepared. That's you know I I could buy a new guitar with that, and there's there's a million things you can do with a thousand quid. I just don't think it's worth it at all, to be honest. And also heard uh, Stephen Adler was saying that the book that comes with it, mm-hmm. apparent apparently there's very very few pictures of Stephen and Izzy. Right? Mm. I
0: just
3: heard heard that
2: yesterday. Oh wow, okay, I did not hear that. That's, yeah, and and a lot
3: a lot of pictures of the new lineup are in there, which is kind of you know it's not very appetite for destruction. It's kind of like doing a a Beatles box set and only having Ringo and Paul because they're alive. You know, it's right. It's it's a bit odd. Yeah, you,
2: you know? know, you're right, and I you know I've expressed my views on on the box, set, especially on the interview with Alan Niven and. You know, just to kind of very shortly recap as we wait for Jimmy to call up any moment, uh, you know, other than I think Newark Tune, and there was another one of the track I've never heard of. It just, I just don't have the money for it. I mean, everything looks really cool, but as far as people like we've had on the show, in addition to you, like Remco or Tim Tricoli, who I still have to think of Spicoli from Fast Times to Richmond High to pronounce his last name, have just these extensive collections. And even Tim spoke yeah. about this was the episode with uh, Constantine Amorus that you know he actually donated to the box set. So there are so many diehard fans out there that have you know their their own box sets in, in a matter of speaking. So it it is yeah. a lot to say, uh, a, a lot a lot to ask for. But uh, in, now what you're telling me though that just this is really unfortunate as far as if there really if that there is truth to that, um, you know if there aren't as many pictures of Izzy and Steven in there. You know, that's just why? You know, if they're apparently still on good terms with Izzy, even Fernando um, recently commented, you know, this was after that whole clueless thing when he elaborated and explained that. And when somebody asked about Izzy on mygnrforum.com, he's like, you know, I love Izzy, but I'm not going to comment on him on my, my dear friend Izzy in paraphrasing. So there's still a good relationship there. You know, Steven is, is interesting, you know, because, uh, of course, yep. he... Like I just don't know what his relationship is with Axel. I mean, slash it seems to be still on good very good terms. but why? Like it's just like why would like are you embarrassed for it? I mean, I get kind of promoting the current version, but no one's forgetting about the current version. So that's interesting. And a little bit later on in the show or even now if we have time um, while we're waiting for 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 Jimmy for shotgun news, uh, actually, I'm wondering if this is Jimmy calling me right now on my cell phone, but I'm gonna do this because it's funny. Okay. Hello. Hey, Brandon, it's Jimmy Asher. Hey, Jimmy, what's going on? How you doing, bro? Everything good? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, Do you want to call the, the studio line? Because this is my cell. Oh, it is? Oh, sorry, man. I no. thought I had that figured out. Man, no, no, this gone. is this is great. I'm going to leave this part in in the, uh, in the interview because it's awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome uh, for your listeners. <laughs> cool. All right, I'll, go, I'll call you back on the right number here in a second, bro. All right, yeah. s- sounds good. <laughs> right on cue so yeah later on after jimmy uh and we're talking about different versions and this is a good point to leave it off uh i saw the house of blue show from 2001 and I, well, i'm going to talk about that you know it's just, okay. it's just uh there's a lot to say and that's yeah i i, I can't even start talking about it now because it's just gonna, gonna get crazy so let's uh let's get jimmy on the line okay hey jimmy
4: Oh, here we go. Oh. I got the right nice one.
2: No, perfect. You know, you were you were on time regardless, and it all worked out, so this is beautiful. So, Jimmy, nice to, you know, officially meet you, you know, Brandon or Brando, whatever you're comfortable with.
4: How about Marlon? I keep wanting to call you Marlon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Brandon Marlowe. Yeah, uh, that's true. Cool. You sound like a young guy. What are you, like, five Nine.
2: <laughs> if you saw my beard, you might question that. I'm 34, so I don't know if that's young to you or not.
4: <laughs> okay, great, man. No, no, it's always good. Love hearing, uh, hearing from the different, uh, there's quite a generational spread in your business, you know, so it's good right. to know who I'm talking to.
2: Yeah, no. You can ask me anything, and I think we're gonna go back and forth because that's what I like to do when I interview people. It's not just peppering you with questions about GNR or Izzy. It's kind of getting to know Jimmy as the person, and I, cool. you know, when it's you have to know me as a person if you're gonna kind of open up a little bit. And and our mutual friend, I, I guess I can call him a friend now, uh, Alan Niven, who I have to credit with uh, setting up this interview, which is just. The fact that I got to interview Alan Niven not once but twice is amazing. But the fact that he connected uh, me to you is just like, what world is this, uh, is is awesome. But Alan said that. He's like, you know, if you were just asking me cliche rockisms, I would have been very brief and gone. I'm, I'm kind of almost yeah. quoting him there so that we got into very deep conversations because I opened up to him about my life and he opened up to me. And to me, those that's how you make sure. connections. You know, otherwise, I mean, I sure. don't – that's just how it is. Uh, and also um, – uh, Jimmy, so I, I let you know on the phone with us as well. Uh, Sir Kevin, we call him Sir Kevin from uh, from Ireland. He is a. Uh, initially, hello, he, you can say hi, Kevin.
4: Hello, Mike. Hello, Sir Kevin. Hi, hey, man.
3: How are <laughs> How's you? It going, man? I'm all right. How's, how are you?
4: I'm well. Where are you?
3: I'm, I'm in Ireland, just outside Belfast.
4: Just outside Belfast. All right, cool. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Very, very good.
2: So I like to be creative with these uh, podcasts. So. Uh, a lot of times I, I bring on a different co host. And Kevin just initially started out as just a listener of my podcast. And, you know, even though we have yet to meet face to face, I mean, he has some uh, some Brooklyn ties. That's an, that's where my family is from. So we bonded over that and being Islander fans, sadly, I guess. Yep. Uh, so I, I bring him on to be a, a co host. And that's what I do with fans. So they, just like me, I'm just a fan to talk to some p- the people that we look up to, to have opportunities that. Yeah you know, you wouldn't have otherwise. So uh, Kevin is just a huge fan of the Juju Hounds and a fan of your work. So I just figured he would be a, you know, a cool addition to our conversation.
4: Very cool. Yeah, man, I try to avoid the, uh, the sort of, um, you know, a lot of what you run into in this business or, you know, things that publicists and people like that sort of arrange and you end up with somebody who doesn't know anything about you whatsoever. And, you know, you don't really yeah. have nothing in common. and they, They're sort of given, like three questions, you know, to ask. And so you you find yourself in this loop of answering the same shit over and over. And, uh, you know, and it's, uh, and, you know, they don't want to be there. You know, they don't really give a shit. They're just, you know, hitting a deadline or whatever. And so it, it's, it's a bummer for everybody, including, including the reader or the listener, you know, it's like, um, you know, I don't, you know, they really don't get, don't give a shit. So you kind of tend to not give a shit in return.
2: You hit the nail on the head, and I do want to uh, preface everything with because I know you did a recent uh, lengthy interview with uh, GNR Central, and just so you know, they, they do they do their research. They I, I credit them probably being even bigger GNR nerds than I am. I'm kind of just more of the conversational. You know, I love Guns N Roses, obviously. But they just know all like the more details, specific dates. I'm just that's just not what I am. So I don't want to give the same interview. If you're a fan of both of our podcasts, so you know I'll try to do. You know if I do ask the same question, maybe ask it a different way, or hopefully get a different answer. But you know I did listen to that interview, so it's uh, you know. And there were certain things I definitely want to elaborate on, and seeing how open and honest you were in that interview, which was very encouraging because you just you never know what. Someone's going to be like if it's they're going to give stock answers or if right. they're going to be kind of reserved uh, like when I had Tommy Stinson on, he was great, but I don't know I was a little hesitant with certain questions I didn't know how open he was going to be, so you never well, know yeah I
4: mean tommy's also was probably in a situation where you know you kind of have to um you know there's a certain sense of what is you know, what are what is appropriate to respond to and right. questions that aren't or, you know, limit your responses or whatever, since you're beholden to you know the situation you're in i'm sort of free from all of that you know at the moment and so um you know fire away
0: <laughs> really
4: not so, that... at, at this point you know i mean this you know there's no reason to do these uh unless you're uh, going to speak honestly you know
2: right on yeah no it's same thing for me that's how i am 15 years in radio i'm just like what am i doing what kind of interviews do i want to do i would never have these opportunities to do it on fm cuz fm radio has become very boring and restricted uh but yeah. these podcasts and the fact that you know just like kevin in ireland uh you know and just we have listeners from so many different countries and in the reach is so far so yeah. a lot of your fans have reached out to me with questions for you uh which we're going to get cool. to uh, a little bit later on in addition to my and kevin's questions and by the way kevin you know just like every co- co-host because i know you're You know, even though you're a professional guitar player and all that, I know you're not a professional radio guy. You're just a, you know, just jump in and you can just tell me to shut up and, you know, and just if you have a specific question, you know, don't, you don't have to hide in the background. So I, I, one of the first questions, and I wanted to kind of see if there was an update on that, uh, the GNR Central asked you, because you said you're in, you kind of just alluded to it just now. Are you a free agent right now? Like, what are you doing at, at the moment? You know, like when- well, I
4: think I, I I mentioned this as well. I, I'm, uh you know, I'm, you know, a musician, but I'm sort of more of a band guy, you know, and I, I don't, re- I've never been comfortable sort of jumping on um, as you sort of need to do these days in order, you know, I don't blame these guys, everybody, you know, these guys, you know, need to make a living, but I, I'm, I'm a band guy and I don't uh, enjoy the sort of hired gun aspect of things and never have. So, you know, I, um, uh, as a result, I, I, I don't work very often. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not a great thing, but it's just something that I've always felt sort of strongly about. So, um, it's very difficult and increasingly difficult these days to find guys who are able to do that sort of thing. I mean, ideally I would, um, you know i would be in another band should one should the opportunity arise Mm -hmm. but um you know even here especially here in los angeles you know the guys that i know who i would like to play with are, you know it's just um you know either they're in six different bands you know or more and And so it's um it, it sort of clouds the issue and you don't it's it's not you know it's a different vibe when you're in a rehearsal studio with, with somebody who needs to be at the next rehearsal and is looking at their watch, you know, it's not a, um, very conducive environment to, um, creating stuff, you know? And, uh, so that gets a little frustrating. So I've gone for, you know, extended periods without, um, being able to, uh, to, uh, get a band together. And, um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. You know, I mean it's it's, only, it's been you know 3 years or so, maybe 4 years since the last one which uh turned out to not really be what it was presented to me as in the beginning. That's the reason I got involved with it was uh was because it was sort of a band but then it turned into something else which is uh fine, but it wasn't really something that made me happy. So um you know, I'm kind of in limbo at the moment, um, you know. I don't. I don't take joining or starting a band lightly. You know, it's, uh, it's well. It's like a relationship.
2: You know, you, know, you can be single for absolutely. a while, and, and just because, well,
4: well, right? Yeah, it should be. It should be um, absolutely. In my estimation, that's what you know. That's what it absolutely should be. Um, should be a family, um, and uh, or a gang, or whatever you want to call it. But um, I don't see that. You know, very often.
2: Is it easier for you to, to join a band or is it like, are you looking to even starting your own band, you know, and and again, and building your baseball team, so to speak?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I get it. You can aspire, you know, you can always fantasize about, you know, like, wow, it'd be great if I was able to join this band um, or that band or whatever, you know, as a teenager, you know, that's how you start, you know, you, you know, with the tennis racket in front of the mirror or whatever, you know, (laughs) and, uh, Imagining yourself in the place of you know your favorite band or or whatever it is that you're into and um, you know that sort of stays with you uh, over time and um, unfortunately at the moment I sort of you know tried to recall that feeling and um, and there's really not a lot of bands on the planet active that I would have that feeling about you know what i mean that i would really want to join you know and that that's that's a sort of a unusual state of affairs you know that's that's a that's a very recent recent development you know in the last uh last uh five or six years i, I would guess but yeah i mean you could wheel me out there with the Rolling Stones, I guess. That'd be fine. But, um, you know, they're not hiring, <laughs> <laughs> as far as
2: I know. Yeah, I, I haven't seen, you know, any job listings for the Stones on Craigli- Craigslist or Monster.com yeah. or anything like that. Right, 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 yeah. So where's that I- where that camaraderie uh, or uh, looking for camaraderie come from? Because if I'm not mistaken, you were born in uh, in Italy, or were you born and raised in Italy? When did, like So where did that kind of come from? Cause I, I don't
4: know. I mean that's just the way it happened. Um you know the first band I was the first band, several bands I was in were um that's sort of how it went back then. Um you know there weren't I didn't know a lot of guys who were touring, you know, high for higher musicians. In fact, I don't I don't I don't think I knew any. So um after coming to California from Italy, yeah, that's where I
2: How old were you? Where, uh, when you came.
4: Um, I was in my late teens, you know, so I had already kind of um, gone through like the formative years there. So, I mean, that place and that, you know, uh, being in Europe was, uh, you know, part of my being uh, growing up and uh, because of uh, a military family. OK. You know? And, um, and uh, when we moved here, it was a very exciting time in uh Los Angeles, and um I found myself sort of dropped in the middle in the midst of uh just a ton of um of uh, bands and they were all little um you know all, using military terms they were all little squads you know little platoons of guys rolling around the town and um and doing shows and playing house parties was like a big thing. You know, and any time anyone's parents, unfortunate parents, would leave on vacation, the kid would just invite everybody over, you know, on that weekend. And you'd, you'd, in the high school, you know, you'd end up with a note getting passed around with a list of all the house parties going on. And then we, you know, everybody would show up and destroy the poor parents' house while they were gone, you know, and the, the party would last 20 minutes before the cops came. But, you know, you got all these bands playing fast and short songs so they could get as many songs in before the cops showed up, you know? So that was kind of the plan. That's kind of how Southern California <laughs> hardcore sort of developed that way. I think, you know, you get as many tunes in as you can before the <laughs> cops start beating heads, you know, in the backyard.
2: Um, but that's where it rooted from. Cause I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of, you know, I, where I was raised, you know, on Long Island, um, and I feel like I, even now I, I still am really deeply rooted into like maybe like my, my pre-teens uh, with certain, you know, even though I've obviously grown up and I have life lessons, but I still have that, that little boy uh, inside me. Not the, you know, Michael Jackson way, but like, it, it's, sure. <laughs> but I still kind of like I think about like how I developed as a person. So there wasn't the the little Italian Jimmy that like what were you strumming your your tennis racket to that like, there was nothing that developed from that time period that you still carry with yeah. today okay
4: no absolutely absolutely that's where i mean i wasn't a player back then. I mean, I was in I was a fan. I was a, I was an admirer of
2: uh What were you exposed to? This is why like I love having people like like Kevin on or when I had uh right. ray from the UK on. I've spoken to fans from Croatia, I mean all different parts of the world and and what they were what bands they were exposed to versus what I was exposed to, not only just here in America, but here in New York. So what were you exposed right. to in Italy?
4: Well, I was just going over this earlier with a friend of mine and um, That's uh, interesting. But um, in Italy, (laughs) we didn't have access to a lot of, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of entertainment options. There really was no television during the daytimes. Um, They were just sort of getting it together Hmm. TV-wise. And so um, TV would be like sort of broadcast in the evenings from like 5 in the evening to maybe – 10 o'clock at night or something, and then would just sign off, right? And, um, so you like so you,
2: really like there was not 24 hour TV at the time,
4: no, sir. Wow, okay, No, nothing, nothing like that. And, um, you know, and so TV was just sort of so it was still a little bit of uh radio, and the radio I would get, I mean, I, I grew up speaking sort of both languages so I could understand what was going on in the television, but then radio wise, I would find, um, you know, uh, armed forces network hmm. and uh, that was the military um radio station that was uh, broadcast to all the military bases and personnel in europe at the time and um and so i would get news you know I, on saturday nights you'd get like wolfman jack and like charlie mm-hmm. Tuna doing the american top 40. so i knew about that but uh it wasn't until i saw like a news item on the on the italian news where they had done a piece on uh on london and uh a burgeoning uh music sort of a revolution that was happening in england at the time and they were showing footage of the sex pistols and the clash and the damned and i think uh that was the first moment that um i just became enthralled by that and it was just a brief little little thing you know a little mention and um as a result of that i wound up sort of uh you know going down that rabbit hole and uh so those were my earliest influences and also when i got my parents got me an electric guitar i had a, a much older relative who um gifted me for that same christmas a uh, couple of uh, music song books, you know, which I still can't read. I, I don't know how to fucking read music.
0: But
4: um, <laughs> to this day, you know, you think I'd have learned. God gave me the books. but
2: You're not the only one. When he interviewed uh, Johnny but, Kelly from Typo Negative, he said the same thing.
4: Yeah, and there's not a lot of us to do. Yeah, it's weird. You'd think we'd have figured it out by now. But um, uh, these guys, I mean, these books were, uh, one of them was a Rod Stewart book. And one of them was a Faces book, and one was a Elton John, um, Honky Chateau, or Goodbye Yellow Big Road. I think it was Honky Chateau. So, I mean, those were the – and only years later did I really discover the Faces, you know. It's sort of a lot of guys in my age group sort of started with rock and roll, and then when underground and punk rock sort of hit, they they cut their hair off, you know, and started – peg in their jeans or whatever <laughs> and doing that. But um, I kind of went backwards. You know, I started with that, um, what was happening in, 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 in the UK in the late seventies. And then, uh, you know, and then it just all tied in with once I was you know, moved here to Los Angeles, that um, sort of continued on. And so I was, um, I was around here during the Southern California version of that you know, okay. like um they sort of took that and uh and ran with it and and around that time is when you know I started you know hanging around all those bands, you know, and so you know you got all these guys, you know, you got the adolescents, you got um you know black flag circle jerks, you know everybody knows all that all that stuff that was going on, you know So well the vandals. I mean, these were all bands that were doing these house parties, as I mentioned,
2: Hmm. and uh, playing wherever. Circle Jerks House Party? My God, which is such a weird sentence. It's such a weird sentence if you don't know what the Circle Jerks are.
4: (laughs) Right, right, right. But, you know, and then somewhere in that mix, I started to, uh, you know, become a little bit like, I don't know, it seemed like they took the songs. I mean, what I liked about the British version was they were songs you know, they were, I mean, uh, and, and the New York scene, you know, the Ramones and the, you know, the Velvet Underground, it was, it's all underground stuff, you Mm -hmm. know, going back, you know, to the sixties punk rock and, you know, the seventies punk rock, you know, and all that with the dolls and all that sort of stuff. And the Ramones, those are all songs, you know, they're song related and Mm -hmm. melodies. They're melodic. And if you listen to, you know, God Save the Queen or something, it's a slow tempo. It's not like, you know, ass you know, uh, you know, neck-breaking speed or anything like that. But whereas the Southern California version took that and took it to a much more hardcore, and I started to see you know a lot more violence at the shows, and the shows hmm. sort of became more about the violence than the than the the band.
2: Oh know? wow! So, um, so would you say I, it was a a culture <laughs> shock? Because for me, again, growing up. You know, moving from Nassau County to Suffolk County when in in high school, that was a culture shock. So I can't imagine going from from Italy to L.A. What kind of or oh, or, yeah. or did you well, feel like not... you belonged? Maybe you know, like what... no,
4: no, oh no. Uh, we were. I was. My family moved sort of out to the suburbs. So I was caught between the city, you know, Los Angeles, and the suburban sort of Orange County thing, where a lot of those bands and clubs you know, were as well. And um and you're absolutely right. When I did land I was absolutely suffering from a massive culture shock, which then led me to sort of seek out, you know, like minded people. And so um that's how I sort of started to meet these other musicians and sort of freaks, you know. And <laughs> um and so uh, you know, this is back in a time when it wasn't sort of normal to dress, you know, in a way that reflected, you know, your musical influences it was, a, it was a big, uh, it was a big change going on. And so we still had the, the, you know, sort of stoner rock dudes left over from the seventies. And it was morphing into this other movement and everything that comes along with that, you know, a change in fashion a change in, in everything, art, you know, all of that stuff. And so, um, it was, uh, It was uh, a very exciting time, but that's what sort of led me towards those types of people, you know? And so, and then from that, I started to discover, you know, once I got my driver's license and all that jazz and was able to drive up to Hollywood, um, I started to kind of branch out because then, you know, then I knew I was in the right group, but I just needed to find, you know, the right handful of guys and uh, just, you know, right around that time, um, started bumping into bands that were taking the melodic aspects of, you know, um, earlier music and combining that with uh, underground punk rock and all of that stuff. Um, you know, this was a time when, you know, we weren't punk rockers weren't allowed in Disneyland. You know, um, we'd have to like we were banished. If you showed up at Disneyland, they wouldn't let you in, right?
2: It's it's amazing so that that used to be a time, and then now, of course, we have like punk rock uh, stores and malls, like you know, Hot Topic, and now. Well,
4: they got a friggin' yeah. They got like they have punk gigs that you know I played. The House of Blues Anaheim is friggin' in Disneyland, and I'm <laughs> down there, you know, watching Charlie playing with Social Distortion. I'm like, you guys gonna let me in this time? You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just crazy. So, um, but that's you know, that's just how it goes. You know, it takes a long time for people to sort of for you know the mainstream to sort of catch up with uh what was going on which is um sort of a, a groundswell populist sort of a movement you know that was happening um but yeah they thought we were offensive uh, or subversive was the word they used um in the thing you know if we we're subversive yeah that was the wording they used for if you if you look in it, subversive in any way which is you know reminiscent of a a lot of really bad times in history.
0: If we want to go back, <laughs> you
2: know?
0: but, uh, yeah, that, that
4: shit was uh, that shit was crazy. We'd hop the fence, though, anyway.
2: Well, that's the punk rock thing to do, man. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, like, so, so I can bring Kevin. And Kevin, when did you bring, like, first pick up a guitar? Because I want to relate it to to Jimmy, and I kind of want to know know what the reason behind it so Kevin when was the first time I forget forgive me if I asked you before when I interviewed you
3: uh, I was 11 years old um and uh my uncle my uncle was a guitar player my uncle got me my first guitar and just through the records like listening to guns use hands I started to to go back and listen to the faces and the stones because those were records we had in the house and I've been playing guitar since
4: oh man that's so great that makes me so happy that's kind of like what that record was for you know, so that's good. Yeah, that, that makes me very happy to hear all these uh, all this time later, man. Good, good deal. That's that's what got me going. And yeah, I've,
3: I've been a guitarist since, and that's what I do. And it's yeah, that 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 record was a, a heavy influence. But yeah, I was 11 years old.
2: So Kevin, did you? Very cool. So I know, uh, and and obviously, I'll bring it back to uh, to Jimmy. Obviously, but uh the, Kevin, did you did your parents buy? Did you ask for it, or your parents just saw you? You know listening to music you're like you know let's let's get you into let's you know encourage this kid
3: i i i asked for it um, my uncle already played guitar i'd just moved to ireland from scotland where i grew up and he came over to visit and i said uh, you know it, do you have any old guitars or anything like that he brought me this old beat up 60s electric and he taught me a couple of strangler songs and a couple of tux songs and that's that's how it got going
2: Okay, so then, Jimmy, when you said your parents got it for you, did they ask you? I mean, did you ask them, or they, they just saw that, like, we want to encourage him?
4: <laughs> nah, man, I begged for that shit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, nah, man, I was, like, trying to weasel that one any way I possibly could. And then, uh, <coughs> oddly, though, <coughs> I never really, I mean, I think they, might, they got me some couple guitar lessons with some, like, old Italian lady, Mm who wanted to, like, teach me, like, um, you know, uh, operas and stuff, you know. And I'm just like, what? You know, I'm, like, 10 years old or whatever. I'm like, this is not what I signed up for at all. And um, so I kind of – I got it in my head where I already thought I was, you know, it was too late for me to be a musician. And um, because I had it in my mind that in order to, you know, if you're like – want to be like a Jimmy Page or something. You got to study this stuff from like five years old. You got to learn how to read music, all that kind of jazz. Mm
0: -hmm. And
4: then this Italian lady, I'm like, man, well, maybe you got to learn all this stuff too. And that didn't interest me whatsoever. And so even after I got the guitar, I mean, I didn't, I I wasn't in any way uh, thinking that that's something I could do. So when we moved to, la and i saw all of this uh scene happening around me and um it actually took a trip back this is a, a, could be a long story i'll try to condense it as okay if i can but i went back to europe um the summer of uh my senior year in high school right when i was about to start that and uh and i went back to italy and um again i was so enamored by this uh scene going on in, in England, and I had shown up at um, uh, 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 when the Damned played the Whiskey a Go-Go, so I was 17, I believe, and um, so I showed up there, and that was like by myself, you know, I drove myself up to Hollywood and went to the gig, and then I was so, like, you know, I don't know if I'd seen a lot of shows at that point, but I was just so enthralled by what was going on i decided i had to get backstage and so i you know i kind of weaseled my way around and then i told the bouncer he wouldn't let me in and i'm like plus i was underage and so i'm like look man i told him i was a reporter for this like underground magazine at Hmm. the time called flip side magazine and uh so i said i'm a reporter for flip side man and he still wouldn't let me in and he's you know, probably about to want to beat my ass, and then I started crying because I wanted to get in bad. Oh. And so he finally let me in because I cried, <laughs> and uh, and he let me in, and uh, uh, which probably wouldn't happen today. But I ended up in this you know, smoke filled room with a lot of you know, English guys, you know, sitting on chairs with girls on their laps and stuff, and drinking beers and you know, smoking whatever. And I was like, What? this is insane and so I was just kind of hiding in the corner and um, one of the guys Captain Sensible I think at one point when I once I thought I was in the clear he you know came in the room and I and you know who's the guy you know he's doing the interview I'm like oh shit you know so um, that's me and uh, so he goes well go over there and talk to Rat and he'll tell you you know we'll do it back at the hotel I'm like what so Rat anyway long story short I ended up having to do was forced into doing this interview which i got on uh like i recorded on this little cassette player that captain sensible had in his room and it turned out uh you know i asked him all these questions and he turned out that he was really pleased with the interview because i i knew a lot about the band again you know going back to what we were opening up with there and uh you know as i was asking about specific songs and albums and all that and then so he was like, well, that's the best interview I've done in a long time. <laughs> so I, was pretty, I was pretty happy with it. But, um, at the end of the interview, I asked him, this is again before the internet. So we couldn't really, we didn't have any way to obtain stuff from the UK here. You know, there were a few import record shops, but there were a very few scattered around. You had to really seek them out to get imported records from, from, from Europe or anywhere else in the world. And, uh, And they were pretty expensive. And so – and zero merch. You couldn't get your hand on a T-shirt or anything. So I happened to ask him at the end of the thing. I was like, hey, you know, is there any place like an address or something? So he goes, yeah, here you go. And he said it on the tape. So um, flash to six months after this, and I find myself uh, on a trip back to Europe. All I had was this address. And I ended up hitchhiking from Naples, Italy, which is down at the bottom of the boot, like south of Rome. And I hitchhiked to London from there, which uh, was a trip that took me, wow. I think, two or three months. Wow. And, and you know, that was fraught with all kinds of uh, – you know, stories involved in that, so...
2: And this is why, and I'm literally just getting uh, still questions for you on my phone right now, and so many of them are, when is your oh, autobiography going to come out? So this is just All at right. the beginning of your story about, you know, hitchhiking, oh, and yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I was just I was just yeah. thinking about it, it's funny.
4: No, man, I absolutely would like to write one i I just don't know at what you know it's like weird when you get to be my. it's like at what point do you write this thing you know because then you don't want to start remembering shit that happened later or other stuff that happens later and you're like damn i wish i had this in the book so i'm trying not to jump the gun you know what i mean put oh, yeah. the, the definitive yeah. the definitive thing out because i'm you know sort of still alive but anyway <laughs> <Sure>. uh, <laughs> right <laughs> but uh but uh so this Anyway, I end up getting to London, and then a, cer- a series of incredible coincidences lead me to this address. And uh, long story short, I finally get in touch with, uh, with Rat uh, Scabies, the drummer for The Damned. And, uh, and he saw that I, I – mean, at this point, I have no money and, and nothing, just a bag. And, I, you know, I look probably like i would just gotten out of the war – And, um, so he, uh, sympathized and said, all right, well, you can come stay with me for a couple of days. And, um, and, uh, I did. And then once I was there, we sort of, uh, developed a bit of a relationship and a rapport and, um, and he allowed me to stay much, much longer. And he was actually the guy sitting around his apartment and seeing what he did every day, like sort of on a day-to-day basis that lifestyle became, you know, very, he was, you know, in the middle of uh, mixing an album. And so it was my first time in a recording studio because he'd take me along and all of that stuff. So I was just amazed. And at one point, um, which to me is sort of the essence boils down to the essence of uh, what that sort of punk rock ethos was all about, because I was, you know, he saw me eyeballing these, guitars and stuff he had hanging on the wall. And he's like, why don't you just pick one up and play it? And that just blew me away. You know, I, 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 I didn't think that that was possible, you know, um, at this point I thought I was too old, you know, but, um, but he was like, no, no, you're not, you know, you can do it. If we can do it, you can do it. Mm
0: -hmm. And so that
4: was sort of, uh, you know, a very sort of fortuitous moment in my, uh, in my life, you know, I came back from there. Um, believing that I could do it, and uh, I mm-hmm. did
2: it. So was he the uh, the drummer for The Dam? Do you think that was, like, your first big contact when you moved to to L.A.?
4: Um, well, he was in London. So London,
2: was, I'm sorry, your first big contact London. overall.
4: Yeah, I mean, the first time I met, you know, a guy who I'd only seen on the back of albums before, you know, and, um, and a guy that I was, you know, I was just blown away by and uh and and to have him um be encouraging was uh was a game changer you know uh for me and so um i think when i came back from that trip i had uh you know while i was there you know he he had a lot of uh guitars and basses hanging on the wall and i I picked up the bass because I just thought it was, uh, you know, it had fewer strings. so It would probably be the easier one to learn. <laughs> and uh, But he would, you know, sort of press me to, like, learn a song. And then and this was also at a time when the, the scene was uh, still pretty uh, lively in London. So these guys would actually come through, you know, on the house, uh, come through his house. So he, I would learn a, a song, and the next day, you know, one of the guys who wrote the song would come walking in the door and rat would make me play it for him. And so, um, you know, that was a really crazy little environment. And when I came back from there, uh, that's when I decided I could do it. And, uh, I jumped in the first band I saw and, uh, I'd only been playing for I think six months when, um, when, uh, I joined a band called the broken homes and we got a record deal my first show uh, with MCA records. So it happened very, very quickly.
2: You know, I, we got to sprinkle in cause now, cause I, I don't want to lose uh, this question. I think this was in, in regards to the broken homes and I had no idea about this. I want to credit all these questions. This is from a uh, uh, Michaela uh, buyer on Facebook. Apparently cool. with the broken homes, I did not know this, that you were in back to the future. This is heavy-duty, Doc. This is great. Is that... (laughs) Yeah, correct.
4: Well, we were in there for... If you blink, you miss it, you know. Well, the thing was, at the time, we were on MCA Records, which owned Universal. So, basically, um, we got a lot of film placement stuff. Just, you know, it wasn't because they liked us so much. It's because you know, it's cheaper for Universal to use a mca song that they're licensed for already then have to pay somebody else you know what i mean so we kind of like by default ended up in a uh you know getting called for uh i think for yeah we did a song on uh we were actually in weird science but like just a pan across like the part where uh michael j fox is the talent show bit right
2: yeah Um, yeah no she showed me the screen cap when huey lewis was there saying that they were too darn loud
4: Yeah, yeah, Huey Lewis, the coach, and then, uh, you know, Michael J. Fox walked past us like six or seven times or something, and that was basically it. We just had to stand there, you know, and, uh, and, you know.
2: Did you get to meet any of them, or it was just like you were, like, extras? Okay.
4: Well, yeah, that split second probably took us two days to film. (laughs) Okay. we We were there hanging out for, uh, for quite some time, if I recall correctly, but, um, Yeah, so that was that. And then we did, uh, we had a song on like Weird Science soundtrack. And then we had another one. uh, We had a big um, song in uh, Oliver Stone's uh, um, Born on the Fourth of July. Okay. That one was a huge uh, section in the middle where Tom Cruise is in the wheelchair and doing he's on the dance floor. The song just goes on and on and on. We did a Creedence Clearwater uh, song. And um, so that was a big appearance of that, and then filming Louise too. We were in that, and that one wasn't an MCA thing. That was actually Ridley Scott came to see a show of ours at the Roxy Theater, and then he invited um, us to be part of uh, of the band, the fictitious band that Charlie Sexton was fronting in the, again in the bar scene, or in the you know band. In the bar in Thumb and Louise. Um, So that, we did that as well. And that took, you know, a good three days. I'm surprised
2: uh, when I, you know, your IMDb didn't come up because you seem to have a lot of film credits, even though they're all brief and might add up to, you know, a minute in total. But still, that's pretty cool. I mean, so since you met, uh, you know, Michael J. Fox, and I mean, did you meet Tom Cruise? Any like cool stories? Or was it just kind of like, hey, you know, nice to meet you uh, moments?
4: I uh, I don't remember, you know, um, I don't really remember hanging out too much with any of them. Um, uh, the, the Thelma and Louise thing we actually did because, uh, Mr. Scott was a very, very gracious man. And, um, and he, uh, I remember our first accommodations were like the, the, the sort of cattle car trailer they pull up for the extras, you know, to be in where it looks like a trailer that you would haul livestock in. it's got like little tiny rooms and um and so he walked by there and his PA um assistant was showing him and he's like why do we got him in here you know there's no other place we can there's no place better we can you know set up for these guys and and he ended up uh taking us and um bringing us into his personal trailer and for the three days of the shooting so we were kind of sharing the trailer with Mr. Scott it was amazing um let's see who else um oliver stone uh was uh he really loved that version for um uh, born on the fourth of july and he actually offered to um direct a, a music video for oh, a wow. for that song but uh, uh the record company for whatever didn't think that was a good idea <laughs> I guess I don't
2: know, man. Wow, that's yeah. a pretty dumb decision. Yeah, I don't want Oliver yeah. Stone, this one of the most <laughs> acclaimed directors of all time, directing my, uh, our music video. Get
4: the fuck... Yeah, no, we don't need that. Doesn't fit in.
2: <laughs> Okay, I mean, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Wow. Okay.
4: Yeah. No, but I mean, you know, man, you got to take these IMDb things with a little grain of salt. You well, know? oh, no, I,
2: I'm being, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being silly with uh, with that, of course. But then, you know, I'm wondering because you said "Broken Homes" was kind of like your your first band right like your first real band so yeah how did that feel when you're getting involved in in all these movies with notable actors i mean did you think that that would last forever <laughs> like oh my god I, I i made it i'm in all these you know major block but you're not it's not even like you're in these you know uh, independent films which is great a lot of independent great independent actors and and directors out there but you're in these major motion motion pictures with your first real band you must have thought you made it you right. know
4: well, it wasn't that it was more the signing to the major label because at that time i mean this is this is Hollywood, you know you can walk down the street and be in a movie you know it's True. really not 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 a big deal you know and and the part it wasn't like we were in there, you know, like you know Lawrence Olivier or nothing we're, you know, <laughs> back, sure. we're in the background and uh so you know, yeah, your background guys so um but uh more important to me was the was the signing, because at that time, um, this was 1985, so it was before Guns N' Roses uh, sort of precipitated, the the Guns N' Roses success sort of precipitated that signing frenzy Mm -hmm. that happened in Los Angeles where they were looking for anything that looked remotely like Guns N' Roses. Right, right. And uh, we had been signed uh, a couple of years prior to that and had our first album out already. And so um for us it was uh unheard of at the time for an underground club band to be signed in Los Angeles to a major label. And so um it had been like a decade before they had um they had done that. And so it was uh it was really really exciting. I didn't know anyone who was on a major label at the time um you know uh and then the first couple of shows we did where they were like MCA recording artists, you know, it was like a big deal. And uh, so, of course, yeah, man, I went home after signing those papers and I was like, well, that was, you know, that was easy. <laughs> 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 so we had it made, yeah, of course. And then, you know, and so I was going to UCLA at the time. You know, I was a, a, a student my, like, second year, I think. What was your major? And, uh, I, I hadn't even gotten to that point. You know? Oh, okay, wow, okay. And I was so general, I you know, it was like general education, you know, some right. bullshit, bullshit thing that you can get away with when you're in your first couple of years sure. or whatever. You have to declare one a little later. But, you know, and then I was like philosophy because there's like no real right or wrong answer. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I, was like, I was that sneaky where I was like, well, it's just my opinion, you know. And,
2: That's yeah, your was, philosophy. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: You can't really grade me on this. But... uh and uh, so, but that's right around the time our our first record came out, and I was trying to juggle, you know, going to clubs and then waking up and going to school, and it wasn't it wasn't working. And um and then they said, well, you now you got to go on tour, and they said we we booked you um as support for Stevie Ray Vaughan, and um so that was it for me, you know, like I'm out, see you later UCLA, and uh, jumped in a van. And uh, started doing that, you know.
2: What did your your parents think? Did they like, were they over the moon for you? I mean, like that, again, you did you think that would last forever, or did you have any sort of, you know, I don't want to say humility because you, you seem like a very humble guy, but I'll use the example. Uh, our our last interview was with uh, Graham Whitford uh, from Tyler Brand uh, Bryant and the Shakedown. And of course, uh, Graham is the son of Brad from Aerosmith, so he can have this big ego, but he doesn't. So there was a show. I think when he was opening up, uh, when they were opening up for Axel DC and Tyler goes to Graham and says, you know, this could be the last time we do a big show like this. This could be it for us, you know, and and they're, they've already had success at such a young age, early 20s. So what was your thought to saying, I got to keep working hard, you know, uh, because this may not last forever. Or like you said, this is easy. I mean, I'm. You know, I mean, these movies, I mean, yes, I know for a few seconds, but still, you're still a part of it. Uh, you, you got signed to a major la- label before the frenzy. So what were you what were you thinking that it would last forever or no?
4: Well, you know, I was thinking that for sure. My parents probably not. You know, I don't think my dad was too stoked <laughs> about me leaving school uh, to do it. Um, but, you know, as uh, as time went on. um they sort of, you know, they softened to the idea, and were very, very, very supportive. I mean, my mom was always an artist type. My dad was a military; he was an army a colonel, so you know, it was a little bit more of a leap for him. Um, but my mom was always very, and then my my dad, you know, at, at, over time, you know, just uh, became incredibly supportive. So it was um, it was great, you know. But yeah, we didn't know really the ins and outs of the business very well uh we were just thought that we were very fortunate to be there and uh, able to do these tours and um, especially the tours because you know we learned so much from our elders you know the guys who were doing it professionally and you know uh we didn't know anything about how to behave on a tour you know how your crew should be working the, sure the whole team, the logistics of getting around, all of that stuff. And so we learned a lot, you know, just on the spot. So I was just, I was more consumed with that aspect of it than I was really projecting very far into the future. You know, I wasn't really thinking about that stuff.
2: I gotcha. All right. So this is a a question and I'll sprinkle them in and we'll get some more questions after. I just kind of do it when it comes up organically, since we're talking about the broken, uh, broken homes. Uh, Archtop on Twitter, she just asked this. Um, I feel like I'm live, but she just knows that we're interviewing you t- today. Uh, she she loves uh, Broken Homes, which she's been able to find on the Internet. Uh, why do you think that you weren't able to find uh, mainstream success in that band? And this was before the frenzy, the, like you said, the g frenzy.
4: I'm amazed that she's able to find anything on YouTube because most of our stuff gets deleted for some mysterious reason. Um, if you look at the Weird Science soundtrack, there's like there were 10 bands on that on that record. And there are only nine of them listed, you know, with a, with like a blank space, you know, on number 10. So I really don't know what goes on, man, with that kind of stuff. I don't know if it's a licensing thing. I know MCA probably owns all that stuff. And if they want to be dicks about it, they can delete it from the internet. But, um, yeah, a lot of our stuff ends up uh, being taken down, you know? So, um,
0: that's That's um, weird.
4: That's sort of a, a, a shame, but, um, uh, I I don't know why. But um I just find it's just become, you know, funny. But uh I you know, uh we sort of got steamrolled a little bit, you know, um just by virtue of the type of uh band that we were, you know, like I was explaining earlier how the um you know, I was sort of getting my head I think you know, everyone all of us in that band were we're, you know, I know myself and Craig Ross, the guitar player, um, who's now been with Lenny Kravitz for, you know, forever. Um, but he is uh, he went straight from the Broken Homes to play with Lenny and he still does. He does a fantastic job at it. Um, but we were, again, coming from the same place musically. And we had a singer who was from uh, from. Uh, Pennsylvania, you know, it was like Philly style, you know, so his whole vibe, he was a couple of years older than us and his whole, you know, he sort of came out. Cause I mean, that's a, it's a, it's always been a, a very important music city for America. Um, a lot of great, you know, the blue eyed soul stuff that's come out of, uh, the Philly area and, um, and, you know, just going back, there's tons of great stuff and a lot of history. So he grew up, um, with sort of knowing all the Chuck Berry sort of standards, you know? So we were incorporating that into, I mean, he's the one, uh, I learned all of that from him. And um, I know that Craig learned uh, quite a bit as well. And most importantly um, about uh, open G tuning. And I think we were one of the earlier sort of bands in Los Angeles that was using open G tuning, which is a, you know, a very, early rock and roll thing you turn tune all your strings to the chord of g and then you just need to bar you know with one finger you know up and down the neck and um you know so i got it's a you know keith richards uh took that away from chuck berry as well so um you know we were sort of playing that kind of stuff mixed in with you know it sort of came out you know it came out a lot in our in our music and um also visually we weren't um we weren't in any way sort of uh, looking like what the bands that came a little bit after us that, you know, you'll think of them as the hair bands, you know, we didn't have that. And <laughs> so
0: right.
4: I think um, when Guns N' Roses sort of triggered that whole, um, you know, once they had success in America, which, you know, I think as you would know, didn't happen for them immediately right. they had a great los angeles following but uh as far as globally you know it didn't kick in until a year or after the the record was out you know they had to go overseas first to come back and sort of convince us you know the, the americans that it was uh it was worth anything which tends to happen over and over but um i gotta give credit to uh to alan for, for doing that, you know, and taking them over there and booking the UK gigs because I don't know what it is, man, but they get it, you know, they get it mm. before people here do. And, uh, and that seems to happen. And uh, I think a lot of American bands run into that same problem, but at the time, you know, we were sort of the Kings of the LA club scene. In fact, um, G and R opened up for us several times Early, early on, wow, and and that's how I came to know those guys, you know, and um, and all of that, and we became friends, and uh, we, you know, everybody in that little group of guys were, you know, I've said it before, you know, you just wake up at some girl's house, and there's you know, another dude sleeping on the floor in the corner, and, you know, whatever, you know, we just wake up in the same places a lot, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, it was a small town, man. You know, back then, it's big to look at, but it's small to live in.
2: Hmm. So yeah. that was that the uh, that was your introduction to to Izzy and to Alan when you start when they started opening up for you, or is there a time before that maybe you went to go see them, or I don't know, you met at a restaurant randomly? Like, when was the first time you you met Izzy and and Alan? I don't remember.
4: I I don't remember the first time. Um, I just you know, Izzy and I just sort of gravitated you know like i like i said everybody was you know you'd have a club on sort of every night of the week i think it was like tuesday was the only night or you had to pick a day where you'd be like okay i'm going to take tuesdays off or else i'm going to fucking die you know um but there was a club on every night and so um you see the sort of the same people migrate from these you know different club nights you know and so um we were always around these people and so you were able to check out you know that brings me to another point, you know, um, there hasn't been a major shift in rock and roll music that um, hasn't been accompanied by a concurrent shift in fashion and in art and in every other expressive medium that you could think of at the same time, you know? And so you could literally look at someone across the street and recognize that it was someone who was into the same stuff that you were. And so that's this group of people that was populating all these clubs, you know, and it grew and grew. And this holds true. You know, if you go back in history up until 15 years ago or so when it stopped, you know, um, after Los Angeles, it was Seattle, you know, and so everybody was wearing Pendleton shirts and fucking whatever, you know, um, before like early nineties, the Black Crows blew up out of Atlanta, and everybody, you know, started wearing flared jeans or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 I haven't seen that happen. I don't I don't know why that made me think of that, but you know, um, we don't really have a legitimate movement um, in rock and roll music without
2: in rock. In rock no, I mean, just I think but, if you want, I use air quote music now. I guess the only movement I see is adding a lil. L I L to the beginning of your name and getting face tattoos. I think that's like the new yeah, thing, which yeah, yeah. is yeah. sad. But anyway,
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Rock needs <laughs> no, something you're... now. I, I I don't know. So what did you and uh, I guess Izzy bond over? You know, like what what, what was he like? And uh, at that time, what were you guys? Uh, you know, what was your friendship like? Well, did you ever foresee being in a band with him, or just even jamming with him at the time, or just like, hey, this is my friend Izzy in Guns N' Roses
4: no, I didn't foresee playing with him at all. I mean, I, I th- I figured, you know, he's, he's got his band and, um, and I've got mine and, but we were, we, you know, clearly bonded over, um, you know, music. We had almost exactly the same influences and, um, you know, he had good shoes. I had good shoes, you know, <laughs> so that was important. Um, and I think also his, uh, his, um, he was always very globally minded. You know, he was interested in traveling to unusual places. And I didn't, at the time I didn't meet a lot of people here um, in this area or in the States in general, it seemed like people were sort of afraid of that and still are, you know, um, uh, which is unfortunate. You know, uh, I would, move heaven and earth to get someplace if I really wanted to go there, you know, and uh, having no money wouldn't stop me. And and I think over time um, that solidified my relationship with Izzy because I w- I tended to sort of pop up in places, you know, I would be like in London years later when they were, you know, came over to do those early marquee gigs in 1987. And uh, I happened to be there on another sort of crazy adventure with um, Steve Bader's from the dead boys and the Lords of the new church. So I was over there with Steve. And so, you know, stuff like that. And I think those, the GNR guys found that amusing that I just would continually pop up, whether it be there or New York and not a lot of other LA guys, you know, would do that. And so um, I think it was on one of those, I think it was on that London trip that uh, Izzy and I, well, those guys ended up taking me in because I didn't really have a place to stay, so I ended up sleeping on the floor with uh, of their spot that they had in London, um, and then I was around for that whole first tour um, that they did, and then uh, and then they they drove away and left me there, you know. So I had to find another place to stay <laughs> okay. after that. But uh, but I think um, that you know we were very 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 like minded and we, there were a lot of lot a lot of things in common you know so it was very natural
2: did you um remain i mean obviously you remain friends, but what was your friendship like when g and r started to disintegrate when you were friends with Izzy at that time or i should I, I go back and say how what was your relationship at the time when they were breaking up like Well, as- i didn't i
4: i wasn't really following them to be honest mm-hmm. you know, i i don't know, i don't know what was going on with that you know they sort of had exited my my radar uh by that point you know i knew that they were you know it blowing up and all that um i didn't you know really see them um they weren't around and they weren't playing around so you didn't you know it wouldn't run into them at the liquor store or anything anymore so i didn't really see them i would speak to izzy over the phone um but he's one of those guys that you know you could not talk to for six months and then it'd be like hey bro what's up you know and, and it was normal so uh but, but
2: i got i mean i i guess obviously you're not going to run into them at the liquor store anymore because they're they're super famous at the time they blew up but did you have i mean i mean obviously you were aware but this band that used to open up for you is now blowing up all over the world did you have a different perspective did you I mean did you kind of like, what was your perspective on that, at least? Like, saying, hey, these guys used to open up for me, or did you foresee that, saying, like, wow, these guys have something. I can see them getting huge.
4: No, we didn't see that coming at all. Uh, <laughs> it was, if, if there's an emotion I could uh, describe, it would be one of uh, aggravation, Probably, hmm. you know. <laughs> you know um, yeah,
2: to be but, honest, was there any sort of... Uh, for lack of a better word, jealousy or confusion or, or happiness for your friends? Like what like what were your feelings when they when you saw Not, again Yeah. Yeah,
4: nothing nothing ever towards the band or the guys, but uh, I was more frustrated in the business, you know. Gotcha. Um, that makes sense. Because I was I was close enough to them where I could see the machine functioning as it's capable of functioning. You know, like they were you know, the publicity machine with those guys was impressive. and uh, a lot of that, you know, is, goes back to Alan's masterful uh, you know handling of those um those early years. and uh, so that was frustrating to me because and that was sort of my first um, exposure to like the 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 injustice um, sort of you know, aspect to being on a major label, you know, because everything for them, it's a very tenuous situation. You know, you've got like, now you're on a major label. You've got, you know, you've got an album out. You've got like 10 crucial things that need to happen in a very, uh, very regimented time frame in order to get an album to be successful. Hmm. And invariably, you know, any one of those links, if one guy's on a vacation or if one, guy doesn't like your band or whatever it is, um, the chain breaks, you know? And, um, and so it's a, it's a very rare thing to see the, um, you know, the machine actually function correctly. And, uh, it was just ironic, you know, to me that I had been pushing to get my band to go and uh, and do the same thing that Alan did with GNR, which is, you know, have them do a UK tour. And so um, we were really fighting to go over there, but uh, no one uh, on my label saw the value in that. So um, they didn't. And so you know, flash to a year later, and I'm there, and I'm watching it happen in front of me to a bunch of friends of mine, which I was very you know happy for them. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, man, you know, this is rough. So um, well, that
2: makes sense because it's you can't get mad at them, like you said. You're mad at the machine. It's just like, well, you know, I'm talented. My band is 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 good. You know, why isn't this happening to me? So yeah, it's No, situation. I was
4: I was serious. of course I was happy for my friends, you know. I mean sure. it was like living in this friggin' car, you know, <laughs> you know, like literally a matter of months before being in, you know, what resulted in the biggest plant band on the planet. So and all the things that go along with that. Right. And as well as being, you know, happy. Um, I was also had a front row seat to um you know, for for the the shit show, you know, uh, that happened back then. You have to keep in mind in pre-Internet days, I mean, you think there's a lot of gossip that goes along on the Internet now. That's one thing. But back then it was tabloid newspapers. It was print, you know, and so you'd, you know, be at the grocery store, and see that, you know, somebody on the cover, one of the guys on the cover of the Inquirer or whatever, saying, you know, so-and-so was talking shit about so-and-so's girlfriend. And it was really, really rough, you know, to watch that happen to to my friends as well. You know, it was, um, because I knew it was really, really difficult for them.
2: So I guess that goes back to what I I asked a a couple minutes ago. What was They weren't on your radar. You know, they were and they weren't, not to the way they used to be. But when GNR started to break up and izzy was to go uh from when he left to the contact with you to start his own thing can you take us through that like how did that came about and of course working with alan
4: i think it was like the next day it was the day after or the day it was announced because i was watching it on television the announcement when the phone rang and it was him <laughs> So um, it was pretty immediate, you know. I don't know when he made the decision or how long it had been since he would spoken to the rest of the guys. I don't know what period they were in. Um, but once he left, man, you know, my interest in, in the band left too, you know, really. Um, I I always thought of him as my connection to those guys. I mean, as far as, you know, again, I was – uh, I was um, able to admire all of these business sort of machinations that were going along that were allowing this monster to, to grow. But uh, musically, I sort of lost interest and, um, in, in the band because uh, I knew Izzy was the one guy in the band who had the almost identical influences to me. Um, and so I could really relate to him best out of all of them and up as well. You know, um, he came from a little, from, uh, uh underground sort of Seattle punk rock, thing, but, um, yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, to me after that, I didn't, well, after that, of course, I was already playing with Izzy. So, you know, my focus
0: was on that.
2: Were you ex- like? When did uh? Was Alan involved right away? Because you're you, you're talk- I can hear it, you know, and you still have it, obviously still have it uh your admiration for Alan and you guys are still are our, our friends of course. Was Alan involved right away? And with that, uh, when you were saying like, hey, why can't my band and my management do what Alan is doing for GNR? How did that make you feel? That Izzy, this guy, you're you really connected with, and Alan, perhaps finally bringing you the machine that you need to be successful. You know, did you think, yeah. that like, finally, this is this is my time? You know, I've had some success Absolutely. already. So you thought that?
4: Absolutely. I didn't have any idea of what we were going to do yet. I just knew that um, it was going to be fun, and it was going to be good. I didn't even know if Izzy could sing. I'd never seen him sing, hmm. you know, but I, I just knew – that he was going to be great you know at it and it was just a it's you know
0: it's just a character
4: thing really you know i just i i knew i i just thought of that recently that i never it never even crossed my mind to be like well let's see how this guy can sing you know it never crossed my mind once i just you know fully knew that and alan um you know is a, you know, he scared the shit out of me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like early, early on. Uh, he early...
2: scares me too, to be honest, but I <laughs> love him to death. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, but um, oh. before the Juju Hounds, there was a trip that um, Izzy invited me on uh, after they did the, they opened up the, um, the Rolling Stones at the Coliseum here. Uh, they did that huge show and Izzy invited me down to that and uh, we had a really great time and, you know, it was just incredible to see this happening and my friend opening for the Stones and it was like wow great and then the next day Izzy called me up and, being like, and he was like dude they they invited you know the Stones invited me and Axel to uh, go do it again be special guests in Atlantic City do you want to go? I'm like hell yeah I want to go so <laughs> that was the um, you know the four of us it was just um, Izzy, myself, Axel and Alan flew uh, and that was you know I think that my earliest recollection of sort of being around him in close quarters, you know, and I was still friggin' petrified, but <laughs> later on, uh, when, after Izzy did quit and we had the idea to form the band, he already had told me that Alan was going to be involved. So I was really excited about that. And so that's how it started off with the three of us. It was, um, you know, Izzy, me and, uh, and Alan,
2: and we just moved it forward from there. Oh that's uh that's incredible. Uh Kevin, I wanna bring you in. Do you have any questions? Any any uh any follow-up, what are you thinking right now?
3: Yeah, in terms of like all the guests that were involved in the Your hounds, like uh Nikki Hopkins, uh Mac, you know, people like that, Mikey Dread on the EP, uh, that, how did all those come about? Uh, was it straight yeah, up?
4: good one. I'll tell you, um Mac uh was a friend of mine from uh the Broken Homes days. Um, Again, you know, I I was a huge Faces fan, but it's, you know, from fan to playing in a rehearsal studio somewhere here in North Hollywood one day, and a little guy walks in the door and sits down on the ground, and then my singer went over to like, hey, who the fuck are you? And um, (laughs) and then we stopped playing, and uh, my singer Michael said, "Uh, Jimmy, this is Ian McClagan. And uh, he was like, hey, you know, I was in the room next door. I wanted to come in and see what all the ruckus was about because we were playing a Chuck Berry song. And so, um, Mac, yeah, yeah. So, Mac yeah, yeah. so sort of gravitated and he just walked in, man. And so <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And of course, we uh, invited him to play on, uh, on uh, subsequent Broken Homes albums, which he did masterfully. So, um, and then oh. during the, those takes, I sort of had memorized every Ronnie lane baseline, um, you know, ad nauseum, you know, I was just playing them over and over. Yeah. And so in between takes of the recording sessions, I start playing and I would play like a uh, three button hand-me-down or something. And I would glance over at Mac, you know, sort of see if he noticed. And, um, and he did. And he said, uh, wow. you know, and, um, uh, he was like, wow, man, you know, not a lot of guys can play those songs and blah, blah, blah. blah. So, um, you know, switched to a few months after that, and uh, Mac had um, his oh, one of his earlier versions of uh, his solo band. He invited me to go and uh, and play with him and okay. Craig, uh, my guitar player in the Broken Hearts. So we we were we were Mac's band, and so he was the obvious uh, choice for that, yeah. And through and during those shows here in LA, we did a few shows, and um, and Ronnie. Uh, when he was in town, would come up, and so he came up. Um, I remember we played the coconut cheese or something. And Ronnie came down, and we did like Cindy incidentally or something. Uh, and ooh la la! Yeah. It was it was incredible. So I mean, <clears throat> that relationship was there. <clears throat> I learned later that Nikki Hopkins had had because um, Mac had lived in L.A. for quite a number of years. I think since the end of the Faces, I think he. He settled here with his wife Kim. Yes. Uh lovely, lovely uh people, both of them. And um Nikki I think came later and uh, I don't know how Nikki found out about this, but Nikki called me and uh when he found out that we were working in the studio and I was or you know, was in the process of doing this um early days of the of the Juju Hounds record. so Nikki called me. And I remember feeling, like, torn because i got Nikki, but then I had McClagan already playing on a couple, so I had to call Mac to, like, make sure it was okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs>
0: and,
4: and Mac said, uh, he goes, well, normally, you know, it wouldn't be all right, but, you know, since it's Nicky, you know, it's all
0: fine. So,
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: so that was good, oh. and that's how, um, that's how sort of those guys uh, ended up getting involved later on. And uh, you know, with the the take a look at the guy um, version, and also the uh, you know all of Nikki's work, Mikey Dread. I was familiar with Mikey because I read liner notes. You know, Um, that's a that's a an odd thing to hear these days, but that's where you you know guys (laughs) like me got our education from. You know, I can't imagine I'd, I'd struggle with this every day of having a song and not knowing who played on it or who produced it, you know, that just blows yeah. my mind. But, um, uh, uh, that's how I knew who Mikey Dred was because he's all over Sandinista and, uh, oh. those clash records and, uh, bank robber, you know, Ooh, yeah. that's, that's Mikey. And so, um, we were in, after we had moved from here to Chicago, for the phase two of the recording uh, stuff, I was just sort of looking through the paper and I saw that he was playing it at, at the, what at, at that time was a little reggae bar right near a uh, Wrigley field called the cubby bear. And he had been, he was playing at night. And uh, of course mm-hmm. I just, I ran down there by myself and opened my big mouth to him after uh, he played, you know, it was a little bar. So he was, he was standing right there. So it wasn't like I had to get backstage or anything. So I told him that we were what I was doing in town and that we had the studio. And uh, he showed up there the next day and hung out with us a bit. And then we didn't have Charlie with us for whatever reason. I think he'd gone back home for a second. And Rick wasn't there either, I don't think. So uh, Mikey ended up calling his band guys. And they came over for like an all nighter, and I just remember, you know, that's when he did uh, the rap at the beginning of um, what's can't the hear first him? song? Yeah, can't hear him. Yeah. Yeah, 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 At the beginning of that, come shuck out, yeah, yeah, that one. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Shuck out, my soul singers, boo, and then we had the Water Sisters on it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Uh, but he sort of schooled us. That night with his band guys, about how to play, you know, like not like white boys, you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) That was a a pretty valuable lesson, man. But that that was a lot of fun as well, man. It was amazing. Hmm. There's a certain like hypnotic. I don't know if anybody gives a shit about this, but it's a sort of a it's sort of an observation musical (laughs) um, one that you're playing rock and roll your whole life you got three minutes, you know, to, to do your thing, you know, within the song. And uh, so it's like, ah, you know, it's a very um, typical approach. You know, you got to burn like right away, you know, you got to jump in and get your, get your, whatever you're going to say done quick. Yeah. And, uh, but um, you know, the Caribbean exp- approach to that much more hypnotic and African, you know, going back, they use fall into a rhythm, you know, and I would get impatient with Mikey, because he'd be like, just play that, man, you know, and, and keep doing it, you know, and, and I'd well, well, like, what happens next? And uh, nothing happens. The point is, you keep doing it. And at a certain point, like 15, 20 minutes in, if you've got the patience, this sort of hypnotic thing starts happening. And it's uh, it's really a trip. And I I recommend that any, um, you know, rock guys that hear this, try it. It's Mm -hmm. pretty amazing. And I think it was something that goes back to Brian Jones tried to capture it, but it doesn't translate to tape. It has to happen live. He did a record called The Pipes of Pan. Um, He went down, uh, called Jujuka, The Pipes of Pan, and he went down to this uh, North African tribe that had a festival where they start playing. And um, they literally continue to play the same groove for like three, four days. And without stopping, and then the dudes will fall out. You know, one guy will pass out, and they'll just replace him with another dude from the village. And at a certain point, it's like everybody's like sort of tripping on mushrooms. This hallucinogenic thing starts happening. And uh, Brian Jones famously tried to record it, but it doesn't. It doesn't work. You know, <laughs> I think
2: a lot of people were laughing
0: at old Brian for that,
4: but uh, you know, I admire the, his, his effort.
2: That's great. <laughs> so do I. And speaking of actually, it's a good, it's a little transition. Speaking of, of recordings and, and live performances, this is uh, another question from, uh, from Archtop, Archtop underscore uh, L5 on Twitter. Uh, it's been, and actually, Alan told me to ask you. I asked him, but he said, you know what? Ask Jimmy. Uh, it's been mentioned that a lot of j- live juju hounds were filmed, uh, shows were filmed. Uh, are, there huh? a, are there any chance that any of these shows will see the light of day?
4: I don't have them. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Of, and you know, I was sort of surprised to see the one that surfaced last year, sometime last year. I didn't realize that when we had um, when we had opened for Keith Richards at the the Bill Graham Civic uh, Auditorium, that the entire show had been filmed. And so that was um, I was really really happy to see that. You know, uh, uh you know, again, man, these are the days before people were carrying, you know, video cameras around right. in their pockets. Sure. So usually you had to, uh, you know, a lot of the venues would sort of run stock tape um, of whatever, if they had the foresight to, you know, think it would be worth anything. And um, uh, so I think that's where that recording came from. I think that was taken by the Bill Graham Civic Staff and uh, they just saw their way clear to release it last year. I don't know what prompted that, but um, they—I uh, really don't know of uh, a lot of official gigs that were uh, that were uh, videoed in their entirety. That's the only one I've seen start to finish.
2: I'm assuming Izzy would have them, correct or no? Maybe,
4: maybe not. You know, uh, I don't know. I, I like it. You know, I think a lot of these don't somehow don't find their way to the artist you know these well, are that's
2: true these are,
4: they belong to the venues you know sort of in your contract so i'm i'm unaware but I, you know this shit's always popping up man i don't know i'd be as surprised as anyone else
2: forgive me if um and i don't remember if it was in the GNR central interview when was the last time you spoke to izzy
4: oh it's been a long ass time man you know it's been a long time i i couldn't tell you in years but i've uh You know, I've tried on numerous occasions, extending the olive branch. Um, You know, I still don't really know why he wouldn't uh, want to do that. (laughs) I really have no idea.
2: Well, because I was thinking, uh, like, did you read his um, Wall Street Journal interview?
4: Uh was it an interview,
2: or did, was it just a couple of lines? That he, I mean, that yeah. I, I mean, it, it wasn't much to the interview, but technically it sure. was an interview. I mean, it wasn't really uh, as extensive as this. Uh, but, sure. you know, he, he mentioned that he writes music, so I'm just thinking, and I, I brought it to, you know, I asked Alan just a hypothetical, of course. He couldn't speak for you, uh, and I'm not going to ask him to speak for Izzy either, but, you know, you're a free agent, for lack of a better term now. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, why couldn't there be any sort of Juju Hounds reunion? Like, if he's just writing music just to write it for his own purposes, or is he at some point ever going to he see him resurface it with a band or a solo? You know, why wouldn't he reconnect with you? Because there seems to be a, you know a lot of fond memories of the Juju Hounds, the fan base is still out there. Yeah.
0: Well, uh,
4: one of the main problems is that our drummer's dead.
2: Well, that I'm sorry, was, by the way, was pretty, for your loss.
4: That would put a kink in that plan right from the get-go. But prior to that, yes. up until about three, four months ago, um, that could very easily have happened. And um, I think the most telling quote and the best uh, version from that Wall Street Journal interview is, uh, is Rick's statement that, um, that is, uh, doesn't like entanglement. And I think that's exactly accurate. You know, and um, I think being in a band sort of uh, is the sort of definition of entanglement. Mm. And so, um, you know, you end up sort of beholden to the guys in your band, you know, and you sort of in his case, if it's got your name on the front of it, you're kind of responsible for those guys to a degree, you know, um, for, you know, keeping them informed of what the future plans are, you know, uh, so that they can remain you know, with food on the table and things like that that are very important to guys like us. So, um, I don't, you know, I think if there's any reasoning to it at all, which I've given up trying to sort of figure out reasoning, um, from, from a lot of people in, in, in in life, uh, sometimes it's not reasonable or sometimes it's reasonable to them and not to you, but, uh, uh, it, um, whatever, if I were to estimate, you know, uh, that would probably be, uh, be, be at the forefront, you know, that, uh, that, because I know that, you know, he knows, uh, or he should know how, you know, the extent of my dedication to that band and, and, um, and that project and what we were working on for the future. And I think many times, you know, we both mentioned and, uh that this was you know the last band that we were gonna have to join, you know because it was a it was very cool, small, and manageable thing that we could have continued on for many, many years, and so um I think uh you know that maybe proved to be too much of a commitment or more of a commitment than you wanted to make
2: no yeah, that's that's fair, and I kind of look at it like you know George Clooney, which is a weird analogy for me, he wanted to be single, he wanted to do his own thing for his entire life, but he finally got married because maybe he wanted to be finally tied down so i don't know maybe uh izzy this is a weird analogy i'm saying more am you regretting it but so maybe izzy is the george clooney of guitarists and he just kind of wants to be by himself and do his own thing but even uh i and this is also a weird follow-up i probably should have prefaced everything with uh i am very sorry for the loss of uh of your friend charlie quintana uh that was <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm all over the place <laughs> uh so
4: <laughs> no man it's all right it's all right
2: well because I'm, I'm also thinking i'm like yes i know there couldn't be a full reunion but right. i'm also thinking at the same time where we have so many losses in the rock world for and just in in, in just in general now with i mean i know it's different but like anthony bourdain and things of that nature where sure. you just never know when someone's going to be just gone that
4: well, it's never been in yeah, I've just never been a fan of uh, popping in replacement members to a band. You know. Well, I'm I'm
2: looking at it as far as if there was a tribute, like if you guys got together as a tribute to him and and to heal. That's kind of how I'm looking at. It, it might not yeah. have to be a full. Hey, you know what I mean? You no, know,
4: I'm game. I always have been game. You know, it's uh, I I I respect um, Izzy's choice. I I of course I've been aware of this many albums since then you know it's been a long time he's had a much far longer career as a solo artist than as a um leader of the juju hounds but um and i uh i'm very grateful to him and um have a lot of respect for him never referring to anything else as the juju hounds because the juju hounds were the four guys you know and that's the end of that story so um even though he continues to um to write and uh, and make records in a sort of looser arrangement, um, I think you know I'm grateful to him for the for the respect and uh, not calling it the same thing, which he could have very easily have done.
2: Which uh, we here in the Guns N' Roses world we know that all too well, <laughs> where <Yeah>. you kind of <laughs> just continue and uh, with the name, even though the guys are not involved. But you know that's something else we talk about uh, as far as. You know, do it while everyone is still alive. I mean, obviously you can't. Yeah, that's say,
4: step one. That's step one. Yeah.
0: Well,
2: <laughs> no, of course, and that's why some people would talk about. You know, the, the, the clamor for the Appetite Five to get back together, but there's also it's yeah. like this is the bringing up um, again another drummer, Johnny Kelly from Typo Negative. Obviously, you can't replace Peter Steele. I mean, he was just more than lead singer. He was a you know comic book character, superhero. Uh, come to life, well, but
4: exactly right. you can know. you? But can you do
2: something in in tribute? Because I believe this was um uh, a couple months ago that there was a whole tribute concert to uh, Mother Love Bone. I mean, and f- the fans appreciate it, and it's kind of just a chance to celebrate, you know, the contributions made from the members who are no longer here. You know, to keep their memory I alive. So, you know, just from I get from, it, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, again, man, you know, I've been. I've been touring this whole time, you know, or with significant gaps, but, you know, I've been uh, doing this and traveling around the world, playing in clubs and different venues and all that jazz. And, and I know that there is, you know, a lot of people that could be made very happy by doing something that seems very simple to me, you know. And uh, And that's part of my frustration is that, you know, I, if I had the ability to make you know, tens of thousands of people across the world, very happy by just showing up and playing some music, I would do it if I could, you know? And, uh, so that's, that's a very frustrating aspect of the situation for me because I can't, you know, I mean, nobody's going to go down and see Jimmy Asher's playing for Argentina or whatever, you know, it's, um, uh, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna play those songs in any other context. That's, um, that's not right. To me either so um it just seems sad that that would just go to such a waste you know when it's easy um you know it's not it's not fucking difficult and you know i've said it many times before you can do it on his own terms if he doesn't want to do interviews don't do them you know just go and and play you know like three weeks you could cover the whole uk in three weeks it's not um
2: it's not difficult. All right, I, and I'll credit the uh, the reunion possibility uh, question because uh, you know you still have fans out there. That's from uh Tory for Glory on uh, on on Twitter because and she even put a sad face. You know, obviously a full reunion uh, couldn't happen, but you just you never know uh, how it's going. to – and that's it's interesting that you said you wouldn't even go out on your own because you know you'll see you know Gilby Clark do that. I mean, obviously he has a lot of solo material, but he'll do some gun songs and you know he'll play all over the world and and. And people want to go out to see them, and then that 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 happens i mean you you still have a connection, you still have a fan base, but it's interesting that you still it sounds like you have this uh emotional connection to the band that you just don't want to do any, like anywhere else. I mean you don't want to well, I, remarry I, in I, a way
4: well, yeah, and it's also not you know those are songs that came out of that context mm-hmm. those people. you know, I don't feel morally comfortable and sort of taking those and Hmm. running around playing them on my own just seems odd to me you know if it was somebody you know if i were playing with rick and he and i have co-written songs uh together even outside of the juju hounds context you know i would play those if i was with rick you know um but i wouldn't play them on my own
2: i gotcha um, how about this one? You can just talk. You don't have to play it on your own, but you can you can talk about it now on your own. This is a question from <laughs> uh, this is a question from a journalist, uh, Matt Wake. He writes for uh, AL dot com. Uh, he wants to, uh, to hear about the origins of uh, "Shuffle It All," the the bass line and the arrangement of that song. Ah,
4: uh, yeah. Um, that was just uh, you know sometimes they they just fly through the window. And uh, that's (laughs) – honestly, that's, that's what happens. You know, you could be dicking around on the damn thing. And, you know, playing bass by yourself is like the most boring thing you can do you know it's the worst because <laughs> bass guitar is an accompanying instrument you know you can't it just sounds stupid you know you don't see anybody whipping them out at the party right like hey anybody want to hear the fucking you know <laughs> i don't know
2: unless you're like you're a flea or something who's just a different oh my
4: god you know? yeah well i'm not i'm far from it so um
0: so <laughs> you
4: know, i have to sort of branch out a little bit and so that's what was happening and we were at a is and I were at a very nice pad that he had rented here uh, sort of in the outskirts of Los Angeles down in Palos Verdes it's like a ways down there but I was down there you know and his dogs running around and we were in the living room of that joint and uh, and I was playing you know as I said it was boring play bass by itself so I was sort of trying to figure out like chords with multiple strings you know to play and um and then that d it's just an open d and then you sort of like scoot your finger up the neck until it sounds good <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so but then this this little bit came out and then um it was like on the other side of the house and he came over and he said record that because we had a little shitty little uh four track tape machine you know and um so we you know Pushed the button on there and got fired that thing up and got it on tape. But it wasn't until we played, um, played it in a rehearsal place after we got to Chicago again, after we ran run away from the riots here, uh, we got to Chicago and uh, it was in that first rehearsal room that the, we got the, um, the whole song together with Rick and Charlie. And that's when, you know, It just exploded because I mean, it was just that measly little bass riff that's all we had, and I had like a little verse kind of you know, and um, but that all came together once you know, Charlie with that boom, you know, and the intro, and Rick, of course, and uh, it's that's where that's where that song uh, that's how it came about,
2: right on. Uh, and I'm wondering maybe uh, Kevin can help me uh, translate this. This is from uh. Uh, one of our good listeners, uh, Mr. Mack, I think he's from Ireland, so maybe that's uh, why Kevin can translate this. Uh, first part of it is, tell him the Juju Hounds record is the dog's bollocks. That's the a,
0: dog's bollocks!
2: That's a compliment, <laughs> right?
3: Yep, the, the, the mutts nuts, that's a good, that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> the mutts <nuts>. Amazing. I <laughs> know.
2: And... <laughs> It's so good. Maybe that's right. If you can, it, it, actually, this is a good idea, Jimmy. If you if you start your own band, maybe you'll call it the Dogs Bollocks. That that that's Hey it. man,
4: to <laughs> 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 oh,
2: Well, his, his actual question. I know you've touched on this before, so maybe I'll accompany it and I'll credit this guy to uh, Johan Peterson. If he's from Sweden, uh, how did the the audience respond? Because you were at the the Gilby Clark show when Axel showed up, and this is when he was you know it was few and far in between. When you really didn't see Axl Rose, so right, it's, so yeah. yeah, Tell us about that moment, and tell us how the crou- crowd crowd uh, responded, and how you felt. Like so, yeah. Because take us through that.
4: Okay, it's probably going to be a little. I mean, I sometimes, man, with shit like this, you don't want to. You know, I I I appreciate everyone's sort of visions and imagination of how this sort of event could have unfolded, and there's. A lot of speculation right. involved, but sometimes you don't want to, you know, see too far behind the curtain because. I mean, for me, it actually wasn't any of that. Like I was literally walking back from the liquor store. I live like at, on the Sunset Strip. I'm I'm here right now, and this is the same place I lived back then. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, and so the bar in question was my friend um, and neighbor, Slim Jim Phantom from the Stray Cats. Okay. He's, uh, partly own this place, right, um, uh, called the Cat Club. And it's right on the same block as the whiskey. It's in between the whiskey and the, and the Roxy and the Rainbow. So it's all like, you know, down the street, and it's also between me and the liquor store. So <laughs> um, that's where I had gone, and I was walking back from there. And this big black car pulled up to the curb, and i noticed it because of the driver the chauffeur who got out was this babe man she was smoking hot she had like a ponytail the chauffeur's cap and like just dope and so i was like holy shit you know this chick is hot as fuck and um (laughs) and that's when axel got out and um and, (laughs) and and i was just sort of standing there enthralled by this girl and he sort of walked directly to me and he just said, "Hey." Come in here with me, because we were right outside of the door to the bar, and he goes, "Come in here with me and sing Wild Horses." And uh, I was like, "What?" You know, <laughs> I hadn't seen I hadn't seen him for years either, but uh, he recognized me and um, and sort of you know walked up. It was just as he should time.
2: recognize you. I mean, Christ.
4: And, well, yeah, yeah, and and so I mean, I had no idea. I was sort of in a fog in many ways during that period. And so I wasn't even, I didn't even know that he was missing or hadn't shown him. So I had no idea. I wasn't following any of those guys at that point. I and, um, and so it was just this, you know, it was actually my old friend. I hadn't seen him in a while. Hey man. You know. And then I just wanted to make it clear to him that, you know, I, you know, I'm like, dude, I'm a, I am i do not sing. I'm a bass player. You know, I'm not <laughs> a singer. So he's like, just do it. You know, just, just come in here with me. So I said, okay. And uh, I went in and dude, it was over in like, you know, four minutes or something. I think we did maybe a couple songs, but um, I mean, I was literally just standing there singing backup vocals, um, you know, just like little Keith Richards parts to what he was doing. And, and I don't think we even spoke after that. I just wa- went back on my way and walked the, you know, the, uh, the next half a block home and I had no idea that it was uh you know, and then of course, you know, somebody sent me the picture in Rolling Stone or something. <laughs> I <I'm like>, Damn!
2: <laughs> you had no idea, obviously, it would become this thing. You were like, "Oh, here's Axel. I haven't seen no. him in a million years." Oh, right, I guess I'll sing the song with him. All right, by Axel. Then all of a sudden, it just becomes this this folklore or whatever.
4: Yeah, and somebody lit me up on the internet, man. At one point, like a couple of years ago, about that because something like somebody had tagged me in the pictures, and then some other lady comes on there yelling at me like, you should thank fucking so-and-so for taking a picture and give credit, you know, fucking take people's pictures and pop ba And she's yelling at me for this. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? <laughs> I had no, fucking I had no idea. Anyone even took a picture. Wow. You know, so it was just, I mean, that, 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 that club, I mean, on any given night, well, I think their main thing was Thursday nights. I think for that, for that little racket that was going on down there for a number of years. Um, But, you know, again, you know, you could find any number of guys, you know, playing in there on any given night, you know, Um, they had sort of like a little house band
2: thing going on. It really is amazing, you know, people's uh, perceptions and it can be so off just from a picture. Just a one little picture. Yeah, that's why I don't and want to... And you're involved. It. You are... You were at that event and people were just coming up with all these different wrestling storylines or soap opera storylines. The reason behind yeah, it. Yeah, Crazy. They go, on, they go, they go
4: they just ran with it, man. Uh, yeah, I don't... I got home and drank my beers that I bought at
2: the store, and I, was, I didn't get another thought. You know? <laughs> well, uh, here, here's another serious question. And you can hear the tone of my voice with serious, you know, because we're, we're going from—this is from another country. We're going, from, of course, from Ireland. We're talking to Sweden, we're talking, you know, all these places. So I believe this is, this is from Trinidad. Uh, please ask Jimmy if he, ate, if he ate a Double Doubles or Bake and Shark in Trinidad, and if you've been back since the Juju Hound days.
4: Man, girl, I ate so many bacon shark sandwiches. I was like <laughs> turning, like uh, my skin was getting rough.
2: What I, is that? I don't even know what that um, is, by the way.
4: It's a bacon shark sandwich, man. Really? That's what? Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Amar, who ran that, uh, he was an <laughs> uh, interesting character, man. This guy owned the Caribbean sound base in the studio that we were recording and living in. It had like apartments upstairs, but he also owned. The friggin Kentucky Fried Chicken down the road, and he owned like the Toyota assembly plant, or some weird, you know, it was just this weird mix of things. So we got mad, you know, fried chicken and for free, and we got like these, uh, we got Vespa scooters. He brought them all down there for us to to ride on, you know, while we were fucking around uh, or whatever, not recording. And um, so there was one road that went from the long circular road where this studio was and went to the beach. And so that was usually the routine, man, get on the scooter, drive to the beach. And then, um, you know, the little roadside stands on the way to the beach full of, um, carib beers. And then, uh, we got to the beach and there's two little grass huts on the beach selling bacon shark sandwiches, man. (laughs) So we'd be down there liming, liming at the beach, eating bacon shark sandwiches, and she'll
2: know what lining is as well. Wow, so yeah, I got to credit that again to uh, Charlene DeBourg on uh, uh, yes, on on, uh, on Twitter. I would eat it. Like, was it good? I mean, obviously, if you ate, like, a ton of them, or were you just, you know, drunk and just, was like, anything good. tastes good?
4: Hell yeah, it was good, son.
2: Like, what kind of shark? Like, what would it be? Obviously, was it a tiger shark, a hammerhead shark? Like, what what kind of sharks would you eat?
4: They were great white sharks, man. You had to yeah. bite them. You had to fight him first, and then kill him. Okay. No, I don't know
2: what
4: kind of shark it was, man.
2: Sorry, I mean this is interesting. This is like what this podcast does. Yeah, it's it's based around GNR, but I'm, you know, I'm learning about other cultures that all come together. So I mean, I mean, obviously, I know there are so many different animals and kind of food creations out there in the world. Yeah. Not everything is Wendy's and McDonald's, but sure, uh, sure. I I guess never heard the term bake. In shark, I guess never. I, I've had crocodile in chili. That's as close as I've gotten to that.
4: There you go. There you go. You're on the
2: right track. No like,
4: man, it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful situation, and you know, there were many, many shenanigans happened. I mean, the same, the same Vespa's in the same little road. I think Charlie had a few too many the beers on one of his trips, and he wiped his Vespa out into a tree, <laughs> and, uh, and so he could. You could you sort of hear that. I your you know, trained ear is like he's hitting the ride symbol a little more gingerly than you would have <laughs>
0: normally. <laughs>
4: right. But uh, you know, there's was a lot of funny stuff. And I'm a I'm a scuba diver so Oh cool. Uh, I, I have been since I was a kid. So I was like ready, you know, for that, man. And and I jumped over to um neighboring island Tobago and uh and did a ton of diving. I don't know if I got I may have gotten my advanced open water certification there. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember if I got certified there or not. But um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place, man. Just gorgeous. Very cool. And great
2: vibe. Great vibe. Awesome. Charlene's one of the many that asked about your upcoming autobiography, but I get it, you know, when the time is, is right, because you just have an insane amount of stories that have well, nothing to do with exactly. Izzy Stradlin. <laughs> and
4: I'm following, uh, again, Mr. McClagan. Who was uh, such a dear, dear friend of mine, and remains so up until his passing a couple of years ago, and uh, he uh, had finished his book and had um, graciously mentioned me in his in his autobiography, and so he was sort of um, encouraging me to do the same as well, and um, and I just didn't know anything about it, you know, again, just like other shit. I would never want anyone else to write it for me. You know, uh, I think that's kind of fucking lame, but um, uh, you know, and so I just didn't know how to, how to approach it. And he's the one that told me to just, you know, take each individual story and forget about chronologic, chronology and just put each story down as well as you remember it. And then, uh, and then at the very end, just stick them all together in order. You know, and I thought that was, that was the best advice anyone had given me. So I have been doing that. Cool. I just don't know um, if, uh, if, you know, there's nothing imminent, you know, and there's no plans to, uh, you know, shop for a book deal or any of that jazz, or if anybody even fucking reads books, but I don't know. But uh, I would love to do it. I just am kind of, I, I, st- I actually started doing that, and then I kind of got sidetracked because some more songs started flying in the window you know, I'd sort of, that part of me had shut down after my last band experience. And uh, I just didn't want to, didn't want to, didn't want to hear about it for a little while. And, uh, and so once I started to pick up an instrument again, you know, I realized there's still some stuff there. So I started getting, you know, and now I can do a lot of this shit at home. You know, I don't have to officially book studio time and get a bunch of guys, you know, together. I can at least Get an idea of what something like that would sound like on my own, and then you know try to find the right guys at some point. So I'm kind of on in the in the beginning stages of uh, of doing that right now.
2: Well, I'm glad you're thinking about it because when I posed the same question to Alan Niven, he just doesn't want anything to do with the book. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like he doesn't want to like relive a lot of things. Uh, but right. I, I love the the idea that you're even thinking about it, and you know, because um, yeah, there's a lot out there, and I guess i was speaking of uh, the last. Band and this is from a question, uh Jeff Otto or Odo, uh from Connecticut, so we're all over. Uh he wants to know what led to your departure from uh from Bucksherry.
4: Uh um lack of interest. <laughs> <laughs> On whose part?
0: Your yours? <laughs> you know, man. You
4: know, sometimes you gotta fucking you got a man's gotta eat, you know, but after a little while of doing that, you realize that uh maybe you'd rather go hungry
0: <laughs> um,
4: so uh that's sort of unfortunately what that turned into you know it started off with the prospect of you know I'll play with anybody who finds me and asks me to you know um i'll I'll speak with anyone who wants to speak with me, and so it was sort of you know if if i if I believe that their interest is legitimate, you know? Um, and the reason why they've asked me to do it is legitimate. And so, you know, if they're truly passionate or like something that I've done or played on or whatever, I'll, you know, i I have no problem playing with them. Um, so that's kind of what happened. And, and uh, I had met Keith and he invited me to um, be, be a part of this record. I didn't, you know, I didn't really, think of it much further than that at the time and uh the most attractive thing that he offered to me was that it was a band uh which to me that word seems to mean different things to different people um i'm coming to find out i, didn't, I thought it was pretty clear um in uh, my definition of the word but you know over time you realize other people have different uh different different connotations but um, that word has different connotations to them. But uh, I was invited to write songs and to help these guys make what was going to be this comeback record. And so, you know, if I hear write songs and band, those are, you know, I'm triggered. That's, uh, that's interesting to me. And so um, I did that album without any expectations of uh, it um, being as successful as it was. And, um, so that's how that happened.
2: Okay. Right on.
4: I didn't expect, and, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect to be on the road supporting that and subsequent albums for all those years. But, uh, you know, it, it did become a success that eclipsed everything I had done prior to that, which the irony of that was not lost on me whatsoever. And, um, you know, I was not uh, really... The album I was trying to contribute to early on was one that was less of a... uh, I don't know if the word novelty uh, hit song would be relevant in this case. I mean, to me it is. And I I didn't really like that it had turned into um, that.
2: I gotcha. And then,
4: uh, you know, uh, it's... And then several other mistakes that I was in a position to observe firsthand uh, those guys make um, that I sort of tried to warn them about having seen them before in different iterations of bands that I participated in in the the past. I was was significantly older than those guys. So um, I was trying to, you know, uh, bring, bring awareness to some of the potential pitfalls I saw them falling into. And uh, they managed to jump into every one, though, <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> without any help from me. So, you know, it's, it's,
4: you know it's, it's just amazing to me that, you know, you can have uh, a band rise uh, to that level. I mean, there was, you know, one tour, we were headlining arenas and uh, on our own, you know, and um, it takes a it takes a, a lot of it takes a fucking effort to fuck that up. You know, you have to kinda of try. <laughs> and, uh, hmm. So uh they managed. Um, somehow.
2: Speaking so, of managed, do you ever think of managing though? Everything you've learned from Allen and just over the <laughs> years? I mean, I of course you still yeah, want to play, but I'm, would you ever do like the player manager thing?
0: Well,
4: I've learned that that's the last fucking thing I would do on the planet. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: I'd be down at the pump and gas at the gas station down here before I did that, man. All right. No, uh, it's a thankless 24-hour job, you know, seven days a week, 24-7. There's just no fucking way um, I would be able to do that, you know. And I see guys, you know, who do do that um, – you Know the last band, this, you know, it's a cherry business. Uh, you know, we had a, 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 a manager in the beginning who pretty much broke the band and made it successful. And then, um, at some point after that, the guys in, in that band decided they, you know, it'd be a good idea to fire that guy and get a different guy, you know? <laughs> which made zero sense to me, but, um, but whatever, it wasn't my band, so, um, that. Uh, You know, and what I see um, more and more often in this town especially is a lot of these guys with these management companies who get a stable of bands that are touring bands. They don't really provide any guidance or uh, advice to these bands because the last thing they want to do is is influence them in any way to stop touring because it's very easy for them to sit back in an office here in Hollywood and collect 20% of your gig every night, especially if you're one of those bands like Buckcherry that stays on the road for three years at a time, you know, so you don't really have to do anything. You just sit to sit back and, you know, if there's a, if there's a disaster, you know, you try to respond to that, but there's no guidance. There's no creative babysitting or, you know, or telling them unpleasant truths, you know, no managers do that anymore. It doesn't seem to me. Yeah, you know, so a lot of these guys are very happy to sit back and uh and take the
0: checks.
2: No you know? Alan, they don't have to do anything. Alan is uh Alan Niman is like the last Mo- the uh, Mohicans, you know, he's kind of but man, yeah. it's all
4: about it goes it goes across the board, this whole business is the ones that you remember are the characters.
2: You right. know, their personalities.
4: These are these are personages, you know, they're they're friggin' cartoon like in their you know, in their presence, um in a good way, you know, not sure. in a bad way. And um
2: I like cartoons, so, so, you know, but I know what you mean. Yeah,
4: a lot of times, guys like that um, are the most problematic, you know, for a very conservative sort of industry to deal with, and so a lot of times they'd rather not, and they'd rather deal with the guy who plays the game and doesn't um, make waves, but like I mentioned in a prior interview, that it's the rebels, it's the characters, it's the personalities that, that the rebels that make the change, you know, Um, there's never been, and I'm afraid there will no longer be any significant changes in the musical landscape without allowing for these rebels, you know, uh, to exist because it's hard enough to exist in my time of growing up as a band guy. Um, I can't imagine what it's like now. You know, I mean, there's just no way you can't make a living. Nobody's buying anything that you make. Um, and, uh, so what do you got to do? You got to work a job and try to, you know, put your passion into that in your spare time or whatever. So, um, as long as we've created the society that we all live in now, I'm afraid that, the uh, the rebel is a, is a, is a dying, uh, a dying breed. They're going to go the way of the dodo. And, um, unfortunately that is a tragedy for um those of us who are are not casual music listeners those of us who are passionate about music and expected it you know a quantum shift like at least once a decade you know as i referred to before with fashion with um everything involved in it you know um there's there's always been the, the that bandwidth that will pop through and change all of that and uh, we may not.
2: We may have seen the last of that. Oh, I mean, same sentiments. Uh, Alan felt the same way. I'm just hoping, you know, maybe I'm naive that at some point the public will demand it. That it's just yeah. it's the same thing well, all the, the time. Perfect. It's it's not even just in, you know, in in your industry uh, as far as playing music, but it's the same thing for me. Uh, in, in radio, it's the same thing I often hear because I listen to a lot of sports radio where, you know, like when they hire a certain type of manager, it's all about analytics. You're not going to see the Billy Martins. You're not going to see these really colorful uh, managers anymore that, that scream and yell. It's all about buy the books, buy the numbers. Cause, and, and Kevin, I'm sure, can, can tell us as well because Kevin's in a band. He works really hard. Yep. He, ha- he owns a guitar shop, which is, you know, really hard because uh, you'll see like, big like, guitar center folds. But you know, how like, how do you do it? Like What's the process? You know to do it. So, I, Kevin, I'm sure you can, you can, you know, you have an opinion on this as well, right?
3: Oh yeah. I mean, as 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 one of those things, it's like society needs to take a big shift. But as as Jimmy said, there is there's a lack of rebellion. Everyone we're in the age of the easily offended, and yeah, you know, it's it's just a case that, that even if anybody tries, it's it's gonna get shut down. I think. You know, and, and, I agree, uh, yeah.
0: and and,
4: yeah. and Brandon, you yeah, Brandon, you mentioned that uh, you know the, until the public demands it, so from my viewpoint, the public is responsible for it.
2: Um, That's a good point. You know, by yeah. uh,
4: having having devalued uh, music to such an appalling degree, you know, um, where you know fans need to need to preview your record before they're going to decide if they buy it or not. You know, and um,
0: there's yeah. uh,
4: very little. Trust and um, there's no, you know, people resent, you know, there's there's there is no inherent value in music, you know, the 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 world is flooded with guys sitting in their bedrooms making music, and um, I think the longer that goes on, it dilutes the entire pool, you know, so um you end up with it being much more difficult to find music, and then just the idea, just the consciousness if something is allowed to, um, you know, continue for a number of years without any, any redress, you know, the, the the people have decided that music is free. Now they've grown up with that, you know, and so they resent you for charging for it. And um, that is just fucking unbelievable to me. Um, Yeah. So uh, I don't, as long as that continues, I really don't know um, what, what solution there is.
2: So how do you, because um, we've kept you here for a while, Jimmy, and I really appreciate uh, your, your time so much. Then how do you uh, deal with all this going on? A lot of it is kind of depressing if you let it be. What is your, your day-to-day like now? Like, what are you doing? Because I know, uh, you know, obviously you said you're, you know, you would like to be in a band, but you got to wait for the time is right. Don't force yourself into a relationship or don't force yourself into a band where, you know, it may not connect. So what is your your day-to-day like right now?
4: It's like, uh, nothing,
2: <laughs> like, like,
4: no, nah, man. I mean, I'm very, very lucky. I, you know, has been able to sort of continue to exist here, you know, without, um, without a whole lot of ever, but that, that time is unfortunately, you know, that window is going to close here, um, at some point. And you know, what am I going to do? So I don't, I don't think I'm really, you know, the job at the bank's probably not going to work out for me at this point. I wouldn't imagine. So uh, I really, it's just fine, trying to trying to do my best to find something that gives me that feeling of accomplishment and and um, and glee, you know, just sheer happiness. You know, there's nothing like creating a song or a melody or a gratifying sound out of the ether. You know, when one flies in the window, you know, as I've mentioned a couple of times before, you know, you don't. You don't, there's no way to plan for that. You can't, it's difficult to sit down. I mean, once you have the germ of an idea, it's, there's a certain diligence involved in, in forcing yourself to work on it, work on it through to completion. But those initial bursts of inspiration, you know, that's, that's magic stuff. You know, that's, that's, that's there's, they defy any sort of explanation. So um, just waiting for those to come through. And when one does, you know, you just got to be in the mindset to grab it which um, I haven't been for several years, but I'm beginning to uh, get the butterfly net out again, you know, see if I can catch a couple of those bad boys.
2: I like that. I like that analogy. And for some reason, I'm yeah. thinking of uh, SpongeBob right now. Sorry, speaking of cartoons.
4: <laughs> if you
2: know what I'm talking about, him catching the, the jellyfish or whatever.
4: Where's jellyfishing? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. In fact, when I, went, I went down to see shortly before he passed. McClagan came to town and he did this cool thing that they do here at the Grammy Museum down in L.A. Uh, downtown. And it's just that they invite a guy who I forget the name of the guy who's in charge of booking these people. But he finds these characters and has them just play a little bit on their own and then tell stories, which Mac was you know, fucking the best at. And so I went down there to see Mac do that. And afterwards, just a quick one, we ended up in some bar and um, I kept hearing this other friend of Mac who I didn't I hadn't met until that moment. But he's talking, and I'm just like, why the fuck do I keep thinking of Spongebob? And it was actually the guy who was the voice actor. It was Spongebob.
2: Oh, Tom Kenny? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. I was like, fucking what? You know, I was blown away. But yeah, that was, you
2: know, yeah, Tom Kenny. Enough. I love him. He was in—I uh, yeah. first knew of him back in the day from uh, Mr. Show with Bob and David on HBO. Right, right. Bob Odenkirk, who's now, of course, uh, Better Call Saul and, and David Cross. Who's uh Tobias from uh Rest of Development. Yeah, he was uh well, too funny, too great. <laughs> man, see, my brain's all over the place, man. You gotta get, get SpongeBob, you're to Yeah. <laughs> Fucking everything. Well
4: that made me look at SpongeBob Spongebob and all his other, you know, uh accomplishments in such a different light. If he's got the good taste to go down to see Mr. McClagan play at a frig free... and uh, not even play, just talk, then he's okay in my book.
2: Right know? on. Right. I I will give you – how about this? If you want – if since you have some time and you're looking for things, if you want to come back on just like how Kevin is now, if you want to uh, ever co-host an episode of this podcast uh, and interview somebody with me, the invitation's there. Whether if you want to bring on Slim Jim, whether maybe even – I don't know if you still talk to him at all – Rick Richards. uh, I got got in contact with him once. I I just – I kind of just fell off. I don't know how. But if you ever – Somebody that you feel that this audience, as long as it fits in within the six degrees of GNR bacon, you know, we can make it sure. work. You know, you would be, a, you're a great storyteller. I have no doubt you would be a great co-host. So, you know. wow oh, kick ass. Yeah. So, yeah, man,
4: I'd love to see you, man. I'm sure I could find, you know, find one of these old fucking bastards rolling around my neck. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
2: Yeah, so just uh, let me know. But in the meantime, uh, fans could follow you uh uh well actually before i even get to that like uh, kevin do you have any uh final questions anything uh, that you want to tell or ask jimmy
3: yeah uh just just one thing like if you were like if you were gonna go on to a different project or something would it be something like Buckcherry or would it be back to the more rootsy things like broken homes and juju hands like what's what's your preference
4: yeah very little of me ever cre- crept into the buck world if it did it by the time it arrived, it had- it had been uh, interpreted, shall we say. So, um, yeah. you know, no, everything I start off with sounds like everything I've done prior to that. So okay. it would be, um, you know, I think, um, shit, I mean, I don't know. Uh, a lot of this stuff would probably be in whatever you, you know, I, I, I can't put uh, parameters on it, but, and you know, yeah, a lot, uh, what, a lot of what you hear on the Judy Browns record was sort of stuff that came about from, you know, there's uh, some co-writes and some influence, you know, like bringing in some of the reggae stuff. So all of that would be in there. You know, I think that's probably be the most, <laughs> the the closest thing, which is why I was uh, uh, that that's, like that's a record that, you know, that I would make, which we did make. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs>
3: If Bye you're on. ever in that, this neck of the woods, struck by the guitar store. Oh we could have a jam. What's it called? You're more than welcome. Uh, it's called Hollywood Music. There's a wee town called Hollywood. Funny enough, just outside Belfast, but it's with well, one L. Cool.
4: I'm uh yeah. One, one of my heroes uh, growing up was Jake Burns from Stiff Little Fingers. And oh yeah, um, I know those guys. I, yeah, I learned a lot from from him and became friends with him mm. later on. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, whenever I think of uh, Belfast, I think of Jake, and uh, yeah. and all of that. Man, it's a wonderful town. Every time I go, I have a, a great time. I remember with the Juju Hounds. I think they put us in the hotel. Yeah, it
3: was um, Mandela Hall at the University, Queen's University.
4: Right, and they put us in the yeah. Europa Hotel, which yeah,
3: it's the, the most bombed hotel, hotel. in Europe.
4: Yeah, as we checked in, they said, we're the second most bombed hotel. We're the most bombed hotel in Europe and the second most bombed hotel on the planet. I said, who's the first? They said the Beirut Hilton. It's
3: insane. It's insane. They actually tell people that, you know. Yeah.
4: No, it was like they were all happy. They were all happy about it, you know. And so you get a bunch of Americans like, what the fuck? And, uh, (laughs) And I remember I had been there before. And, um, I had been with, you know, so I was telling the crew guys, you know, oh, let's go. There's a, you know, there's a little pub down here and we'd go and it was just sort of a pile of rubble, you know, left. Cause it yeah. was bombed or whatever. So I was like, all right, well let's try this other one, you know, and it was another pile of rubble. And, um, you know, I didn't wasn't following the troubles and how serious that situation was back then. Yeah. But I certainly did after the gig that we played that night because, um, on my way home i I went AWOL from the security and the band environment and I ended up somehow i don't know I was probably chasing a girl or something and I ended up on my own having to get a taxi back to the europa and I remember there was a yeah. there was a roadblock and the um the soldier uh, actually put his uh barrel of his gun up to my head in the back seat Jesus. um you know, demanding to know where I was coming from, where I was going and all of that stuff. And, uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, let's, uh, thankfully
3: it's changed. Thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. That was bad. That was bad.
4: (laughs) But, um, yeah, man, I'm sorry. You guys had to go through all of that over there, but, um, you know, it was, it was very interesting to me to, you know, to have seen that. And I chucked it up to a, you know, a very, a learning experience, which it was, you know, it's it's amazing how, you know, a residential or a town that you just think of normally is going around shopping and all that. And I was amazed looking out of my window one day because it was near Christmas. And I remember looking into the street and there was sort of these ladies, like elderly women sort of walking around with a stack of Christmas presents, presents that they had bought, you know, they'd been out shopping and then, and then this patrol, of uh of soldiers that came around the corner of the building in patrol formation like they were you know crouched down with the guns you know like looking up at the windows and all that and sort of crouching crouch walking across the street in like battle mode and that was just as an image i'll never forget you know um, and how quickly like that can happen to a populated um town center you know that that image never left me yeah. So uh, thanks, for, okay. thanks for the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome, dude. <laughs>
2: well, well, I hope you guys uh, do get to connect at some point. I know I'm finally going to get to uh, meet Sir Kevin. I know you're come to, coming to uh, New York, what, later this year, right? No, it's, it's, it's in April. Oh, in, okay. Or next year. Okay, next year. Yeah. Okay, I know you're going to visit, yeah, me, so yeah. uh, we're going to hang out. So I hope you guys do connect. So, Jimmy, uh, fans can keep in contact with you at yeah, Jimmy you Ashurst know, I, on Twitter. And then uh, what, on Facebook, same thing?
4: I, I've been starting to, I, I um, you know, uh, and I was like, I just, I was an early adopter of all the technology and all the social platforms and all of that. And I sort of gone through the whole cycle now to where I'm pretty much over it. But, uh, <laughs> back in, um, I didn't have a phone at all <clears throat> for the last like three years. In fact, I just got a phone last week. <laughs> so, um, i you know haven't as a result i've been unable to do anything on instagram which is fine and uh i very rarely was checking my twitter but and um you know which you can see from my feed i don't think i've tweeted anything in uh, a couple of years or so until recently when i uh, sort of stepped my turtle head out of the
2: well you got time, time now you gotta so, you, you gotta get on the on the, on the tweeter yeah. I mean, I'll
4: fire that thing up. I'll fire up that bad boy. So i just like, you know, what's the fucking—who gives a shit what i got to say about anything? What am I going to do, comment on fucking, you know, politics? I'm a base
2: player. People, pilot, you know? nobody, nobody people care. I'm telling you, it's not even just when I announced this, uh, you know, initially that you were coming on the show. That's why right. this was awesome that I felt like I was, you know, alive. I mean, I try to present it as a live— uh, radio I, podcast because yeah. that's the, the the cloth that I'm cut from. But I'm getting still questions for you about uh, your book, about just like what your thoughts on this. And it's not even just like Izzy Juju Hound stuff, like just things that are not uh, Jimmy specific. or are just about your views on, 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 on the industry, which we, we've been talking about in this conversation. So, you know, yes, yeah, yeah. that's cool that you're humble, but people care about well, what you have to say.
4: I, you know, I've never, I, the, the 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 whole thing that you got to do, you know, seems there are people tell you that you, or, you know, seem to think that you need to do is, uh, you know, the whole self-promotion thing. I found it, you know, it's very sort of distasteful to me. And, um, you know, I don't, <laughs> I could really want anyone else, other guys that do it, you know. It's, it's how you do it. I think that's what it is. It's how you do it. Or like, hey, check out my mixtape, you know. <laughs> it's, 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 that kind of, it's kind of that kind of a vibe, man.
2: And, um, <laughs> I get it. You're old school, but, I mean, there's a certain way of doing it. It's a, Just look at it like how you used to go around putting up flyers on telephone poles. It's just – it's the 2018 version of that. Yeah, you can be very yeah. selfish and Kim Kardashian, you know, kind of like, you know, hey, look at these new shoes I got. Who gives a fuck? But if you have, right. you know, real poignant thoughts on things and you have the fan base that you do, Jimmy, and I mean, I'm reading you the questions. It's not just from Kevin, you know, wanting to be in, on this conversation. I'm getting all over the different countries from Connecticut to Trinidad, you know, people wanting, <laughs> well, to, you know, <laughs> to, to talk to you about a, 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 quite an array of topics. So you know uh that's why you'll be you're obviously welcome again to be a co-host cuz i know people are going to go crazy once I, I post this and uh you know they were going crazy as we were re- recording this so you know if you could put your humility aside for a moment you know and start tweeting you know and then maybe you'll 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 get caught up in it and then maybe you'll start sh- sharing some like, cat videos or something and then you'll like yeah we got you we got you
4: possibly possibly it could happen i'm going to need a cat though
2: <laughs> but you know what i mean <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah, I'll go out and grab one of them. Um, but, uh, you know, no, no, it, is, it has been very, very, um, very moving to me to hear, um, especially um, from, you know, the global sort of uh, reach that um, this record that we, you know, did, and it's just the one record, you know, almost 30 years ago now um, has reached a uh, younger generation of people and that it still has some vitality to it you know that is that is uh you know very meaningful to me so um and i appreciate that very much
2: it does and so jimmy uh we'll let you go i I, I hope you and you know you enjoyed yourself and i really appreciate you taking the time
4: i did very much man i appreciate it now all very you know uh interesting and well researched questions i appreciate that very much and um i would love to come back man at any time i'm you know, and uh, I appreciate the the forum, you know, to to uh, speak to some of these people. I recognize them in their names, you know, from Twitter and stuff. Cool. And, um, and I appreciate them all, uh, you know, checking in. And I hope I answer their questions um, to their satisfaction.
2: Right on, Jimmy. So uh, anytime, we're, we're Facebook buds. You have my cell. So please uh, feel free to reach out whenever you want.
4: Will do, man. Keep in touch, bro.
2: Absolutely. Take care. Cheers, Jimmy. All See right. you, man. All right,
4: cheers. cheers. Right. Hey, I'll come see you. I'll come see you in a, at Hollywood Place, man, in Ireland one of these days. All right?
3: Definitely, man. We'll have a jam. That sounds good.
4: Uh, you're welcome to add me on Facebook too if you feel so inclined. I usually keep it to to friends,
2: but we're friends now, so so hit me. Happy days. <laughs> all right,
4: man. <laughs> see you later.
2: Take care.
3: Cheers, man. All right, guys.
2: So uh, that was cool, man. I really don't. I, like, I always say, I try to do the interviews like an hour because. I don't know. You guys never know with a podcast. They can go for so long. I know, uh, GNR central had Jimmy on for three hours. Um, you know, I think my longest of maybe two, two and a half hours, but Jimmy was just so interesting and he gave such well thought out answers. I definitely wasn't bored at all throughout the entire thing. And it just went by so quick, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on the conversation we just had, man?
3: Uh, fascinating. I mean, it's a band that's not documented enough. Uh, Jimmy's answers are just yeah, they are extensive and articulate, and I could have listened to them all night, to be honest, because it's just a period of time when that band was going. That's when I was heavily becoming a, a music fan, that to the point that it would totally take over my life. So, yeah, it was just absolutely fascinating. It's just a shame that Charlie's gone and and that him and Izzy don't talk anymore. You know, it would be it would be amazing to see. You know, if we're not going to see Izzy with G&R, it would be amazing to see him with the juju hands. Be amazing. Right. You know, as Jimmy says, you know, like there's certain bands that just that that give you, I think the word he used was glee. And yeah, it's, it's a certain feeling you get and you can only get it with the right bunch of people. So I, I really hope he finds that again, you know.
2: Yeah, me too. And this actually leads into a, a few things because, I mean, well, Izzy is just, I mean, its I guess it's now, it's a joke, but it's so appropriate, you know, where's Izzy? And even speaking yeah. with Alan, he's just, he's like, w- Izzy just pops up whenever he just wants to uh, pop up. So it goes back to, and we'll continue, we'll bookend the show, of course, with uh, with GNR News, and we kicked it off with uh, the fact that they uh, Duff's Loaded announced a, a one-off show in September for a benefit. So I like the fact that okay, so Duff's got his his thing now still like whether or not I mean that's gonna be gonna be a continuation we'll see. So you got Duff's loaded, then you got uh, you know Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators new album new tour got their own thing right, and I think that's great. And obviously Uh Guns N' Roses is 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 still you know is back, and you know if you want to take back and literally or not whatever it's. Slash Dolph, whatever. Whoever's listening to this podcast knows what the fuck I am talking about. So then you have Guns N' Roses. So the fact that they can do all do their own things anyway, and you are combining that with uh, that they're playing Slither live. So they're paying respects to each other's work. So I think that's pretty fucking great as well. So it would be cool to see you know Izzy do Juju Hound stuff, and so you, who knows? Maybe like he can have his own creative outlet if he ever did decide to rejoin GNR in whatever respect. So uh, this leads me to what I I teased before we got on the phone with Jimmy. And this is uh, another era of Guns N' Roses and wondering, you know, it would be cool if Axel had his own spinoff in a way. And the spinoff would be with whatever version of Guns N' Roses he had, you know. And the version that I I, I never thought I would ever see was the first time he debuted uh, New Guns. So if you're if, you're, if you frequent the forums, uh, the GNR forums online, I mean, it, I, I believe there are going to be some articles written by AlternativeNation.net about some things that that have leaked, um, uh, that have, have that have come out. Some some songs that have come out. Uh, the the infamous uh, silkworms have come out. I mean, I please don't ask me for these songs. I you know these things were not meant to come out. You know, so I I have to respect whether it's Axel's decision or whatever. You know, yes, I I am the guy one of the guys who was craving the Chinese Democracy leaks back in the day on on my GNR forum. They're not allowed on there now because we all I think a lot of people learned a hard lesson in in, in lawsuits and all that fun stuff. But these things were I did not ask for them. They were just sent to me, you know. They're like <laughs> I, I I swear to you. So I mean, I heard uh silkworms um and I was sent the <laughs> Like I never thought in my life that I I, I thought I would see the 2001 uh, House of Blues show. Now that was again the the debut of of New Guns, and this was before. And it was funny we didn't even get to talk about it with uh with Brain because he thought that oh, the Rock and Rio was the first show. But whatever, I mean, if you do a million shows, I mean, you can't be expected to remember all of them. So this was never expected, I guess, to see the light of day. And whether you're one of the ones now who have seen it great, uh, please don't be one of the ones who pay for it. You know, I know we're all desperate to, to, to see, you know, sometimes like or, or hear unreleased material, see these these things. But don't let people rob you, you know, because they didn't pay for it. I mean, if they did, just don't start that domino effect. Because at the end of the day, these things were only obtained by stealing. You know, that's just what it is uh i i hope i don't i that doesn't make me like an enabler by actually watching but if you send it to me uh, i'm like oh i i I have it you know what am i gonna do you know uh so i i watched it and man kevin i gotta tell you it's like i kind of wish axel did this as like another band because that band was awesome you know it's such a collection of misfits to see uh Axel on stage, you know, of course, and this is again back in two thousand one, his look, you know, it's the first time you haven't you hadn't seen him in a while. I'm not gonna play any clips from it because again, I don't want to get sued and you know, I have to respect that, but I have to just – you know, I admit that I've seen it and a lot of people have seen it. You know, he even jokes in the show that I've been taking a nap for eight years, you know, but he it's that him with uh with bucket head, which you know, at the time, I mean, yeah, he was famous to some, but for me, it was my introduction to Buckethead it was through GNR. You know, the guy does, like, a nunchuck uh, solo in between, you know, and, and does the robot, you know, his his own thing, which he does still solo, but he's doing that at a Guns N' Roses show. You know, uh, seeing Chris Pittman there is, is funny, knowing what we know now, him being kicked out of the band or fired or whatever. I guess we don't know the official story unless you're Chris or Axel or whatever. Dizzy being there, of course, uh, and then seeing kind of the spaceman, uh, Robin Fink, seeing him there. I kind of miss him a little bit, you know, I, I, and I will also preface everything with saying I love what they're doing now with Not In This Lifetime. Like, I feel like I've loved every version of GNR. I've loved Devil Revolver. I've lo- I love like all these side projects, spinoffs. I love all of it. I think it's all great. And I'm not just trying to say that as somebody once coined the show, I think it was in I wish I can credit him. On uh, my GNR said the uh, the AFD show is like the Sweden of uh, of Guns N' Roses fan sites. I just try to be like, <laughs> I don't know. That's just kind of me as a personality, anyway. You know, unless like you're a piece of shit, uh, like some yeah. people are, who who claim to know the truth. Uh, that's a you know uh, an inside joke, I guess, whatever, or inside <laughs> reference. Uh, unless you're a piece of shit like that, uh, I, I I will be nice to you. Just be nice to me. We don't have to have the same opinion. That's just life. But whatever, uh, as long as you're not malicious. Anyway, so seeing uh, Robin Fink up there with his half shaved head and just, and just and then of course uh, Tommy Stinson all, all punk rocked out uh, and then my first time really ever seeing T- Paul Tobias play, who's just a dude, and it's just a collection yeah. of of misfits up there, and. It just somehow worked, and it was the debut of what was called at the time the blues. Of uh, they played silkworms, it was just. It was a lot. I mean, the set list has been online for a while, and I even I believe that the audio of this show has been online for a while. So you may have heard it, but the actual visual of it was just really cool. <laughs> like it, it sucks that I. It's not out there, I guess. But I guess it, it goes back to what you said before, Kevin, in the first part of Shotgun News. Uh, about uh, in in the box set, about, about perhaps there might not be as much uh, many uh, Izzy or Steven photos that you want to kind of push the current product. Like, I guess I get it from a current, you know, as a business standpoint. But I I will just say that I hope it sees the light of day at some point because it's just like a, a time capsule. And if they're all cool now, meaning, you know, Slash in an Axel, I guess primarily uh why not you know like is it is it gonna hurt i mean he really didn't say anything negative you know like, like as far as axel rants go you know he did credit uh paul Hughey, as he referred to him as well in it saying it's the guy who tried to keep the old band together uh he also did admit that he had some um, like emotional problems trying to play some of the old stuff you know at the time so i will say that and i think those are positive things that could be uh, that could see the light of day at some point. So, um, and again, I will have to say that I do not condone how these things were obtained because they were not yours to take. You know, it's like, yes, we fans think that we're owed things at times. We're not. We are not owed anything. These are just people who lived their lives, created these bands and music or whatever artists, and they somehow became rich and famous and. We became fans of their work because we're all just people. that's like it they're not they're not superheroes. they're not're they're not they're not comic book people, they're not cartoons. They're just people that are elevated to a certain degree and some people just think that they're owed certain things. If anything, I just want to say that version was great of, of Guns N' Roses, you know. Uh, Axel should be really proud of the band that he had uh, and, and the music that they made together. And I, I think it's cool that he's still playing some of that music live, you know, of course, of Chinese. And I think it just makes it even more special, the fact that they're playing, you know, of course, that Slash and Duff are playing that that music that perhaps was written in a time where he hated those guys or whatever his feelings were. Not positive, let's just say that. Uh, but now that they're playing Velvet Revolver, that it's just, I just think that's, that's great. So who knows if this will be on... You know the the fifth or sixth Guns N' Roses box set that'll be released at some point, but uh, I I do hope it gets out there, man. You know that that band was amazing. It, you could say oh it, was, it wasn't Guns N' Roses. I don't even care about semantics at this point. It was an awesome band. It was an awesome show. So that that's pretty much all I want to say about that. I felt like I, I felt like uh, Forrest Gump. And that's all I want to say about that.
0: And that's all I had to say about that. <laughs> so,
2: so anyway, <laughs> uh, before we get out of here, because I know this is a super long episode, uh, and I just appreciate anyone who listens to my voice uh, for this amount of time, and especially over, uh, you know, 69 episodes.
0: 69, dudes! <laughs>
2: Sorry. <laughs> so I appreciate all of it, and especially uh, you, Sir Kev, who has been supportive since basically, uh, day one, and we've become friends. Just like how Jimmy just said to you, he considers you a friend. I, of course, consider you a yep. friend now. So uh, I appreciate anybody and anyone who's it. who's been either been a part of this show, like you have, or listens to it. So uh, before we go too long, do you have any parting words? How can actually fans keep in contact with you? Because I know sometimes you share some some cool stories and funny things uh, out there.
3: Uh, just find me on, on Twitter, at Kevin P. Pryor. Uh, or on Instagram, uh Kevin P. Pryor as well. So yeah, just hit me up. All good.
2: All right, right right on. I love how uh you're so calm and cool and collected. See that's why you like Izzy, man. You, you're...
3: <laughs> he's chill. Yeah, I like him, he's chill.
2: Yeah. Yeah, always chill. So that's why I like you, my friend, and, and being a part of it. So uh I guess that, that does it for this episode of the AFD show. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at the AFD show, Facebook, facebook.com slash the AFD show. Uh, you can, of course, uh, get us on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, you can get us on Spreaker, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher. Uh, yes, we are still on iTunes. Um, and I'm going to see what other platform we can get ourselves on, you know, because this thing is just keep getting bigger and bigger and better and better. And it's just, it's overwhelming and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to do. Anyway. Uh, so as far as the next episode of the AFD show, when you're going to uh, see it? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you see it. No! Fuck it! No!
0: Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.